World's Finest Podcast, Episode 71. As always, I'm Michael Sims, and with me is the coughing James Doe. Yeah, coughing and sneezing and <laughs> insert sick stuff here, I guess. Take some medicine so I'll have less to edit. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I've been guzzling Theraflu all day. I'm surprised I'm not drunk yet. Yeah. <laughs> Besides that, how you doing? Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm fine. I, unfortunately, as I said on the forums, I had to drop a class this mm. semester, which means that I am not going to graduate until next year, oh. so set me back yet again. Yeah. But it's either that or I fail one or more classes, so the, yeah. the choice was pretty obvious. Well, it puts off the repayment of any student loans you might have. That That's a good thing, but it also means you may have to take more student loans. I don't know if you're on student loans. I'm just saying. Well, I've been able to get Pell Grants the last couple of oh, semesters, so I haven't, haven't had to do anything. Very good. So you won't wind up in the same boat I am. Yeah, with a six-figure debt that has to be repaid at some point. Yeah. Jesus. Mine's only four figures. It's like 30, I don't know, it's like $3,600 right now, but that was for my first few years of school. You're an undergrad, right? I am. Yeah, mind you, I, so mine's from an undergrad and grad work, so. Oh, okay. That's why it's so high. Oh, God, so high. You could buy a house with what I owe. And that's not a joke. Yeah. 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 (laughs) I'll never own property, ever. (laughs) Which is fine with me. I've never wanted to own property, ever. I was was always contentious being a renter. You know, I I don't... Because if something goes wrong, then the landlord's got to pay for it. You know? This this is not out of my pocket then. But if I own the joint, you got... You got taxes you have to pay on that shit. You got you got repairs you got to worry about. No, 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 no. Let the landlord deal with it. I'm of the opposite mind, but I see where you're coming from. So just real quick, I want to play a couple of um, sound bites, I guess we'll call them, that was sent to us by, well, I'll hold off. Let's just, let's just play them here, and then we'll give credit and thanks afterwards. This is Batgirl, and I really enjoy World's Finest Podcast. Hi, Mike and James. This is Batgirl. Keep up the awesome work that you're doing on World's Finest Podcast. So, yes, we want to send out a very, very warm thank you to Mike Blanchard uh, for sending those in to us. Those are awesome. Mike actually, how he got those was he interviewed Miss Tara Strong, uh, who did Batgirl, who did Raven. Um, she, She was Timmy on the Fairly Odd Parents, right? Timmy Turner, Bubbles. Mm hmm. God, who else? There's, the list is nigh endless. Right. But, yeah, he interviewed her for a recent episode of one of his podcasts, because much like me, he has a crap ton of podcasts. Uh, the <laughs> one he did it for was uh, Tooncast. And I, I don't remember what episode it was. I want to say around the mid-30s, 35-ish, something like that. Uh, pardon me, Mike, for, for not having the, the number right if it isn't 35. But yeah, go listen to his podcast. Uh, you can 
you can listen to his interview with Tara Strong. You can listen to all of his back episodes. Just go go listen to his show. And again, Mike, thank you very, very much for sending those in. Yes, thank you, sir. That is so fucking cool. Yes. Oh, and we should say there's actually one more. There's one more, but we're going to hold off on playing that for a few episodes. That'll give you a slight hint as to what it's about. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> but anyways, uh, not to cut our introduction short, but we have a ton of emails to go through, and we have four stories to cover today, and I don't want a four-hour episode. So <laughs> let's just get into and the my, emails. And, my and voice your voice, is, too, right, yeah. It's already going, so let's get this uh, started here. Yeah. First one's from Tony, who writes, With the recent critical success of Batman Arkham Asylum, which I assume that one of you has played by now, finally breaking the curse of bad Batman games. I was wondering what you guys think it would take to finally break another DC curse and make a good Superman game. Some are convinced that making a good Superman game is impossible, but I think that's bull. There has to be a way to make a good Superman game. The Man of Steel deserves no less. I would say don't have Lex Luthor be the main villain. Yep. Have Darkseid be the main villain. Yep. Make it take place mostly in outer space. Uh-huh. Uh, with, I would guess, the new gods mostly involved in the plot. Stop reading my mental notes. This is everything I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> then I'll let you take it from here, sir. Okay, yeah, no. Everything James was saying there is is spot on. It Very little of it has to be set on Earth. Because, you know, there are Earth-born villains, or even Earth-based villains, that can take it to Superman, but none of them are a real threat. Once you get him into space, he can go up against Mongol, Darkseid, in any anybody on Apocalypse, even I mean, I mean, it, it's such a simple thing you could do. What was the Superman two-parter where the the one that ended the show? I think it was. No, no, not the one that ended the show. The one where Turpin died. Oh, uh, Apocalypse Now. Right, exactly. Do something like that. It starts out on Earth. Superman has to go into space. Has to go to New Genesis and Apocalypse. Most of it takes place there, but then it comes back to Earth for a big final battle with Darkseid just invading our planet. But this way you have Superman fighting aliens who are strong, who are as strong as, if not stronger, than him. That's the only way you can do it. Leave Luthor out. Leave kryptonite-based villains like Metallo out. And, have, and just create this al- epic, epic game. What's that, James? If you, if you need allies, have Orion thrown uh-huh. out. That's why I made sure terrible. to mention New Genesis. Some of it could take place on New Genesis. Uh-huh. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. That's, that's really the only way I can see it happening. Right. The problem is, if you do a game that epic first time out of the gate, and it's actually good, as Arkham Asylum is, people are going to want a sequel. Well, then you can't repeat that Dark Side story again. So what do you do from there? You know, that's where you kind of run into a little bit of a roadblock. I would say... If you if you can do that epic intergalactic game first, then you have the second game take place on Earth with some kind of um, some kind of conspiracy against Superman headed by. Then you can have Luthor be the main villain, mm. and then you can have your Metallos and whoever else on Earth, and you can have Luthor turning this whole thing as a, into a some kind of you know public plot against Superman. You know how he always does, how he always tries to turn the public against Superman. Then mm. you can do that. You know I what? Think get that off of there. I'd actually, uh, I, I, I like your idea, but I'd actually go with Brainiac for a second game. Oh, that's a good idea. I didn't think about it. Because again, you can then have things in space, and Brainiac can can either you know stand toe to toe with Superman himself, or he can create things that can do that. Maybe the story is even about 
Brainiac snatching Metropolis and putting it in a bottle like he did Candor. And now Superman has to find a way to get... Oh my god, I just we just created a trilogy here. So yeah, the first game is Darkseid. <laughs> second game is Brainiac getting Metropolis in a bottle. When Superman's up there, he's able to only rescue, rescue two of those bottles before he destroys the ship. And those two are Metropolis and Candor. Now that Candor is back, you for the third game, can do the whole thing that's going on in the comics right now where Superman did bring Kandor back, and now you have thousands upon thousands of Kryptonians living on the moon, some of which are good, some of which are not, uh, some of which are in the middle, you know, and, and Earth is scared. They were willing to deal with one Superman, but all of these supermen and women, very scary, very scary. And Superman has to battle them, and that's sort of your third game. And maybe somewhere along the way, Luthor is in there, and he's manipulating things, pulling strings. Maybe he's the one that sent like a probe out into space looking for an alien who could take out Superman. And that's how he came into contact with Darkseid. That's how he came into contact with Brainiac. And then the third game just spun out of those first two, in a way. And then maybe he has to deal with Luthor a little in the third one. I don't know. I don't know. If all else fails, just have Brainiac Luthor. Yeah, exactly, exactly, you know, tie the third game back into the second, Brainiac did survive, and you could tie all three together, fuck, because you could do the whole thing where Luthor thinks he's going to thinks he's gonna become Brainiac, or he's bringing Brainiac back, but he brings Darkseid back as, you know, in, the, in that new super form, you know, and he's got a little Brainiac in him in a way, so Luthor still does, You've got so you've got Luthor versus Darkseid versus Superman, you know, ooh. Yeah. Ooh, and, and then you have because you also have the Kryptonian threat going on in that third game. That's there's a lot. Hell, maybe it's a four game thing. I don't know. Warner Brothers Interactive or whatever you guys are called. If any of y'all are listening, feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. Feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. Yes. <laughs> there you go. Continue with the email. And speaking of which, with the executives at Warner Brothers apparently too scared to take a chance on another Superman movie, it got me uh, to wondering what approach should be taken for a reboot of the Superman film series. I think the origin of Superman in particular would be a challenging necessity to address, simply because Richard Donner all but perfected it in the original film. Brian Singer understood this, if nothing else. And speaking of Brian Singer, he has apparently signed on to direct X-Men First Class. Should I be happy about this or not? I personally <laughs> love the idea of a prequel film that addresses how the original X-Men first got together. No offense, but Wolverine deserves a rest. Hmm. But will this film negate them ever having uh, to make a Magneto spinoff? The plot of the X-Men trilogy suggests that the original team was Psych, Jean Grey, Beast, Storm, and who knows what other mutants. Unfortunately, the time, uh, the timing of the films means we simply cannot include Iceman and Angel in the original team. Damn it. Hmm. Well, I, I myself would like to see Emma Frost appear as one of the earliest X-Men in this film because I remember seeing her re being rescued by Xavier along with Cyclops and the other captured mutants at the end of X-Men Origins Wolverine. What are your thoughts? Okay, starting with the Singer question first. I don't think you should be worried. I think Singer has a really good handle on the X-Men as demonstrated by the first two films. The reason for that is because he wasn't beholden to the f any films that came before. You know, the big problem with, well, one of the many problems with Superman Returns is that he was trying to pay too much respect to the first two films, the, you know, from the late, from the late 70s and early 80s. Um, because he was doing that, he, he just got, I don't know, his, his own vision got lost along the way. Uh, where with the X-Men, he never had to worry about any of that, any of that. So no, I think it's a good thing that that he's coming back you know will it be 
some sort of a retcon? Will it be a, a, a true prequel? Will it be a reboot? I don't know. I don't know. But I think Brian Singer will will do a really good job with uh, whatever he does uh, with the X franchise from this point forward. I have very little opinions on the direct the directing of the X Men movies, just because the only one I liked was X Men Two. Mm. I didn't like the first one. The third one was awful. So, and X Men Origins Wolverine are the Earth Two hatred of that is well known. So. <laughs> Seriously, folks, go listen to Ian Wilson's review of it. That tells you all you all you need to know. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, next email is from Aaron, who writes, Hey guys, last week you mentioned that the Javelin 7 apparently has a warp drive for no apparent reason. Well, in nighttime, Wayne Aerospace got Kryptonian space technology from Brainiac. The Javelin definitely shares a lot of design philosophy with Kryptonian ships, such as kal spacecraft, with the pointed silver hull with the dark blue window and rotating side engines and wings. And the super advanced, this super advanced technology might also have made it possible for Wayne Tech to have engineered the Watchtower for a far cheaper price than would normally be expected. Just a thought. That's a fair point, and I think what I was driving at was, I think I, I don't think I made clear what I was really driving at. I wasn't so much bothered that the Justice League has, like, a warp drive system, more that if they have it, why don't, the re- why doesn't the rest of the Earth have it? Why are they clinging to that technology, you know, and not sharing it with NASA, and all of the other space programs. That's what I was really trying to get at there. Sorry if I, for, sorry if that wasn't clear. Next one's from Christian. Right, hey guys, what's up with Grodd having a sexy girlfriend in Brave and the Bold, and <laughs> virtually all of his subsequent appearances? Giganta, I can understand being with him since she herself was once a gorilla. But the scientist in Tala, this is especially strange when one considers the phrase "hung like a gorilla." But anyway, uh, <laughs> I've Tala, never heard like a gorilla. I've heard hung like a yeah, horse and yeah. hung like a mouse. Uh, for the other end of the spectrum, never like a gorilla. Yeah, yeah. Horse is the only one I think I've heard or hung like a mule. Yeah, yeah. Heard that one, but yeah, not a gorilla. Tala, I can explain because she's clearly just trying to be on the winning side, no matter right. who that might be with. So right. she clearly had no feelings for either Luthor or Grodd. But she also uh, has issues, you know. Yeah, <laughs> that Grodd has some issue. <laughs> well, look at her profession. <laughs> she hangs out with dead guys. Yeah. But, you know, I was going to say, you know, seriously, who doesn't want to just, like, cuddle with, like, a big gorilla? They just look so cuddly. Grad, okay, fine, he's a mean jerk. But, you know. I'm, ra- I'm raising my hand over here, folks. <laughs> okay, now, I, I guess I don't either. <laughs> <laughs> sure, said yeah. the man who posed the question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, War World is, of course, a piece of shit. I think Paradise Lost was a good episode, but I was really irked by the portrayal of Hades. In Greek mythology, he is not, uh, he is not, uh, while he is not a sympathetic character and is the god most feared by mortals, he helped Zeus and the other gods defeat the Titans and eventually relented when Orpheus came down to Erebus to claim his uh, beloved Eurydice, albeit on the condition that if he looked at her before reaching the surface, she would return to Erebus. The Hades in the episode was much more like the Christian devil. For fuck's sake, it's named after the epic poem of Lucifer being cast into hell. Is Hades like that in the comics? Also, last episode, someone asked about what you guys thought about the voice acting for each character or each member of the Justice League. What did you think of their designs for the show? Hmm. P.S. I believe Mike said that whenever he read Vision's line in comics, he heard Carl Lumbly's voice. Hmm. For some reason, the same thing happens to me whenever I read Dr. Manhattan and Watchmen. Oh, okay. Yeah, I could, I could see that, too. Yeah, true, true, yeah. How is Hades portrayed in the comics? Because ne- I have never read... Or if you even know, I don't know if you know or not. I don't know. I really don't. Um, sorry, I just I just can't answer that one. 
Um, I guess it, I guess it's because it, honestly it just falls into the Wonder Woman mythos, and we're neither of us are uh, very well versed on that that part of the DC universe. Exactly, exactly. I mean, she's been written well at times. You know, Greg Rucka had a good stint with her, and uh, I did read some of that. It was thoroughly enjoyable. Um, there's been a few other creators that have done well with her, but, you know, rarely have I felt like, I have to get this comic every month because it's so good or I'm so captivated by the character and the way she's portrayed. It, it just, no, no, I just, I just don't really care about that character all that much. I mean, I respect her place in DC continuity. Again, she's the, I'm going to say something weird here. She's the fourth member of the Trinity. You know, the reason I say fourth member is because I'm sorry, and DC forgets this, but I'm sorry, Robin is part of the Trinity. You know, I mean, it was Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman, but Robin came 11 issues after Batman did. Detective Comics 38, 11 issues. He's part of that Trinity. I don't care what anybody says. So what would be a four-person Trinity? A quadrology? I don't know. What the hell is that? A, te- a tetralogy. There we go. What James said. What the smart one said. <laughs> or, or you could just say a quartet. There we go. A quartet. Yes. Yes. We'll get them a little pole and they can sing and dance. That'd be awesome. <laughs> get canes and barbershop, you know, yeah. barbershop uniforms. There you go. Yeah. What were the other points in the email, though? Wonder one thing. What was after that? I forgot. About the designs for the characters. Um. What are you thinking here? Uh. So far, they're, you know, I love Batman's uh, extra long ears on the cowl. I really yeah. dig that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm i not overly thrilled with Superman's design at this point, because it just, it's like, it, it goes kind of back to Superman Doomsday, where it's like he's chiseled in places where it's like, why is he so chiseled there? Okay. <laughs> so I, oh, I think overall I'm not overly thrilled with the, with the designs, but I know that later on in the second season of Justice League and Justice League Unlimited, I'm a lot I'm a lot happier with the designs there. Yeah, um, the only two designs I really take issue with, and I don't disagree with what you're saying with Superman at all. Um, I do think he's a little too broad in the chest and a little too thin in the waist. Batman's that way too. But I can kind of overlook that. But the only two I take issue with really are the women, are Hawkgirl and Wonder Woman. Um, I wish they would have updated Hawkgirl's costume. It just... It doesn't seem to fit with the other costumes. The other costume seems a little more modern, where hers is, seems very Silver Age. She's out of place, and maybe that's the point with her. She, you know, we, you know, especially with what we learn about her later on, she she is out of place here. But yeah, her design, I just can't stand it. Once she takes her mask off, and does she changes outfits in Justice League Unlimited, right? Well, she just wears a kind of a jumpsuit, right? And she has rarely has her helmet on, right? She never wears her helmet again right. after I, I like that. I definitely like that. And it has nothing to do with her hair color. But yeah, no, I, I just prefer that design. Now, Wonder Woman, the costume's the costume. That's the way it's pretty much always been, despite, you know, a few tweaks throughout the years. I just don't like the way they draw Wonder Woman. They can never quite decide if she's big, if she's small, if her face should be chiseled, if it should be softer. They never quite get it right. And exactly. there's, there's going to be, what, what's the first one? Fury. No, not Fury. Yeah, there's a point in Fury yeah. where her face completely changes. There's that scene where she's tending to Batman. I know we're getting ahead of ourselves here. But she's tending to Batman, and her face, is, it's, it's not even Wonder Woman's face. It's like they drew just some random character's face on her head. 
And then in the next scene where she's in the javelin with, I think she's in the javelin with Hawk Girl, she's back to her normal face. So, yeah, Wonder Woman, they just never got right for me, ever. And I understand it's a hard character because she's as strong as Superman, if not stronger, but she's still rather feminine looking. So how, you know, how do you portray that? No, I, I completely agree. Okay, next email is from Kenny, who writes, Even though Justice League was broken up into half-hour chunks, this show is essentially an hour long. This was another thing that made the show special, though I agree the forced length did hurt some episodes. Nobody needed two parts to War World. Are there any other animated shows that could claim the same? I couldn't think of any myself. That's a good question. I don't know. I mean... There there were several episodes of Avatar that were... Uh, the Last Airbender that were two and three parts, but mm-hmm. not all of them were were like that by any stretch. Yeah, I'm not too sure about modern cartoons. I'm trying to think of, like, anything classic. Yeah, if anybody knows if there was anything that predates Justice League or anything afterwards, definitely write in and let us know. And we don't mean the occasional two-parter, as as you said, James, with Avatar. You know, we mean consistently. Next one is from Steve, who writes, Hey, guys, it can't help but be noticed that the series is getting off to a disappointing start. Well, from your perspective, anyway. Do you think that uh, that comes from a place of not seeing the show in ages and and not it being as good as you remembered it being, or are you just chalking up to the show still finding its legs at the start? I would say a little from column A, a little from column B. Um, because I, I think more so in the, your latter point there, Steve, uh, it's, it, it, I think they were, they were still trying to figure out what they could get away with, what they couldn't, you know, which, uh, story, which kind of story arcs were going to succeed and which ones were going to fall on their face. You know, War world. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think it's a little of both, but mostly of the, the latter. Yeah, I mean, th- there's a little bit of, ooh, yeah, this isn't as good as I remember. But for me, that's maybe like 10% of it. The other 90% really is they're, they're finding their footing. They don't know what they're doing. You know, they're so used to doing solo cartoons or maybe team-up cartoons in the, in the case of Static, which... You know, he you know Richie wasn't always gear, but he was always a sidekick nonetheless. You know, um, even the Zeta Project, they were used to the occasional you know two two person show, but you know this 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 team up thing, they they don't quite know how to handle it yet. And you know, a lot of these characters we're seeing for the first time. You know, Hawk Girl, Wonder Woman, uh, this Green Lantern, depending Martian. on Martian Manhunter, right? Depending on. If you think it's Wally or Barry, this Flash maybe. So they're they're still getting a grip on these characters, uh, trying to introduce them to us, um, and maybe even to themselves. And it's it's some pretty shaky ground they were on. And is there a chance that the Green Loon Turn episode of Duck Dodgers can be covered? <laughs> I may be able to prove that it's in continuity, or maybe not. <laughs> no. <laughs> Although, I have to say, Duck Dodgers had the greatest oath ever in that episode. I don't remember what it was off the top of my head, but it was hilarious. Maybe on a lark we'll cover it in the final episode of the show. Who knows? Who knows? I I don't know. All right. Next one is from Melanie, who writes, Hey, James and Mike, I found WFP last week. Technically, I found Bigger on the Inside first and was thoroughly distracted by WFP Hmm. and just now really caught up. I was thrilled to find this podcast, and I have pretty much grown up with the DC. Whoa, whoa, stop, 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 stop. I know what you're going to say, Mike. Go ahead. (laughs) What's the date on this email? Uh, This would be Wednesday the 13th of January. Okay, I guess the date doesn't even matter. I don't know why I asked that. But found it last week, and we would have had – and and finally caught up. 70 episodes? (laughs) What? What? 
That's a, I mean, we just got to, I mean, we, we've, you and I, we've gotten this email before, but it's always like yeah. when we were on like episode 30 or 40, you know, and Dan and I just got it for Bigger on the Inside. Someone saying they had listened to the first 20, we're at 31 episodes now, but they had listened to like up to 29 in like a week or 10 days or something like that. But 70, what the, what the? I, I'm guessing, and I don't know if this is true, Melanie, uh, but I'm guessing she skipped, I don't like Zeta, Static, maybe. Write in and let us know. Maybe also Batman Beyond. I don't know. Wow, wow. You know, I mean, it, I'm not, I'm not poking fun. I, I'm just marveling at the dedication. <laughs> really, that's <laughs> exactly. what it is here. You know, I, I hope oh. you have like a long commute or something. You know, that you're not, you know, <laughs> skipping. You know, I, I, I don't know Melanie's age here. I don't know if you're. You know, I don't, I don't want you to be putting homework off or work off or anything like that. Well, I guess. Maybe maybe if Melanie's younger and she is in school, there would have been, like, you know, the whole winter break thing. Yeah. That provides a lot of time, but still 70 episodes. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Wow. Okay. Indeed. Even though I haven't seen most of the episodes since they were on TV, just hearing you two talk is bringing back a lot of good memories. In all honesty, I wish you'd been doing this at the same time I was taking my comic book class in college. It would have made uh, discussions a lot more interesting when we got into the unit on Batman. All right. Wait a minute. Comic book class in college. Where are you going to school so I can transfer there? Because <laughs> it would beat the hell out of the classes I'm taking right now. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Anyway. Okay, wait, wait. Hang, hang on just one second here. Okay, not counting the episode we're recording right now, just episodes 1 through 70, 127 hours, 18 minutes, and 21 seconds is the total runtime for all those episodes. I'm also going to throw out the possibility that she's skipping the email segments. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, I mean, sometimes I do do that with podcasts I listen to. You know, just forward, fast forward to the actual review portion. It's fascinating to re-examine those darker bits and pieces from the earliest episodes that flew over my head back when I was five and being exposed to the DCU in any form for the first time. I really do credit BTAS, along with the 90s Spider-Man and X-Men cartoons, for turning me into a comic book fan. It was especially good to hear your generally positive feelings towards Static Shock, certain episodes notwithstanding. I was a big fan of it in high school, and those always aware that it never had the following that it really deserved. I'm really hoping that I'm not the first one to send this in, but you flubbed your Watchmen trivia in episode 69. Document Hat was based off Captain Adam, not Martian Manhunter. Oh, and pardon. To, okay, sorry. And to use that as a convenient sieg, what do you think of the announced restart of Justice League International? The cover art is kind of hideous, but the main fan reaction that I've seen is celebrating the potential return of Ted Kord. I personally am looking forward to what looks to be a lighter series. Best wishes and good luck in the coming year. I didn't read Justice League International during its heyday. I, I you know, I, I've always said I'm a more of a Marvel guy. I did read DC Comics growing up, absolutely did. But so I missed that whole blah ha ha era. That said, I do thoroughly enjoy formerly known as the Justice League. And uh, what was the follow up to that? Um, I can't believe it's not the Justice League. I think was the follow up. You know, those those are those are pretty good reads, and I, I like I like the creative teams. The creative team on there, I like the, the the roster, but I won't be reading that new JLI comic. I just I just won't. Um, yes, it'll be nice to have a lighthearted Justice League, a lighthearted team book out there. But the, that that cover art that we saw really turned me off, um, and and frankly. You know, I, I've said before, I, when I read comics, I don't do them from issue to issue. I do them in trade paperback form. But even if I was doing them, let's say I was doing them in uh, weekly format, you know, that's a book that's going to be coming out 26 times a year. They're going to be doing it twice a month. 
I can't afford that. Maybe I'll check it out in trade paperback, but definitely not in issue format. But I, I really want to stress that maybe when it comes to trade paperback format. Next one is from, and I apologize if I mispronounce your name, Dalo. To Michael and James, longtime listener, first-time emailer. I am right now re-listening to all the episodes of WFP, and I'm just sending this email to help enlighten you about the BTAS episode of I Am the Night and the movie uh, Mask of the Phantasm that will help you get a different view of the two. First, I Am the Night. Overall, I think you guys did a very well in uh, looking into the episode, but the line that was here, when you look long into the abyss, the abyss looks back into you. You both had a problem with this line when Batman said it. The line comes from the lines of Frederick Wilhelm Nietzsche. When you look at long into the abyss, the abyss also looks into you. It means that if you fight evil, you should take care that you do not become evil yourself. This is actually the explanation for the line before this quote in Nietzsche's essay. The abyss looks back at you means that when you begin to know something that is fundamentally different from yourself, you take a piece of it with you and it changes you and vice versa. Which explains the reason the crook wizard had reformed because of what Batman did for him in saving his life. It was to show that the character of Batman could one day lose sight of what he's fighting for, but that reverse is true too when, in that the wizard was changed by Batman as he took a piece of Batman's justice uh, himself. Batman Mask of the Phantasm, you guys were wondering how the Joker had uh, escaped at the end of the movie. If you read Batman and Robin Adventures Annual 1 of 1996, uh, Andrea drags him into the sewer telling him to beg, but she realized that the man that killed her father was long dead as Batman's words, but Andy, what will vengeance solve? But there was an explosion, and the Joker was washed away like Batman was, and Andrea would go on to work as a freelance mask for hire as the Phantasm. Three years later, after the movie, she meets Bruce again uh, to save his life when Arthur Reeves, with a smile forever on his face because of an allergic reaction to Joker toxin, uh, puts a hit on Bruce after spending years looking for her and finding out that she was the Phantasm. Uh, to get her to come back to Gotham as he knew she would protect her former lover, as he blames her for his disfigurement and it killed his political career and was going uh, to her for it. But Batman saves her life and a fight breaks out between Reeves, his goons, an assassin named Kit, and Batman and, uh, with Andre at his, at his side. Uh, she then fakes her death as Reeves attacks the mask uh, of the Phantasm and falls to his death, with her body nowhere to be found. Commissioner Gordon asks Batman if he knew... Uh, if he knows who the Phantasm was at the end of the comic, and Batman replies saying he never knew uh, who the person behind the mask was. He is then seen flying away, and Andrea watches, uh, says goodbye, and a flash of smoke disappears. That is what I know. I hope this helps uh, in terms of opening you to a different view of these stories. Keep up the good work on the podcast. To James, I know you will... Uh, I don't know why he's addressing this just to me, but <laughs> I know you will not change the opening for the show, but when you start to review JLU, please put the JLU opening song in the first episode that you start. It is so awesome. P.S. Mask of the Phantasm is the greatest Batman movie ever made, period. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for writing in there. Um, I'm the one that makes the decisions as to what music uh, is played in the show. It has nothing to do with James. James has made it quite clear to me that he <laughs> is not entirely pleased <laughs> that I've stuck with the BTAS theme uh, thus far, and we'll stick with it all the way through to the but end I res- of WFP. I don't like it, but I respect it. <laughs> right, right, yeah, I'm not like, you know, it's not like we have fights about it off the air every day. No, it's, it's not like that. It's just James has clearly made it known that this is the way if, you know, if he were handling... You know, if you if he were doing it, that's how he would do it. That's the way he wants it. But I'm like, you know, I, I want one consistent theme from start to finish. That's that's just the way I want it. So from the start, I've said that the best theme that they ever came up with was the short-lived Batman Superman Adventures theme mm-hmm. with the kind of mixed-up Superman music and Batman music together. It's yeah. just a brilliant one-minute theme. And then the Justice League theme is just 
ever so slightly behind it. Our last email today is from Jason, who writes, Dearest Mike and James, I discovered WFP a few months back, and I am finally up to date. Not the breakneck pace of some other listeners, <laughs> but faster than I would have liked. Uh, waiting for every every other Wednesday now sucks. <laughs> Good thing I have like uh, I have Earth 2 at the show backlog to keep me busy during the downtime. I'm on episode six. Wow. <laughs> Got a long way to go there, bud. Yeah. Anywho, I have two questions that have been burning my soul since the beginning of Justice League. I'm sure they're answered in the comics, but I'm not too experienced in that medium. Here goes. Number one, is it weird that Wonder Woman can fly in the DCAU? My wife and I just watched the new Wonder Woman movie. Fantastic stuff, by the way. And it dawned on me that I've never seen Diana fly outside of DCAU continuity. Yeah, she can She can fly. I mean, she, she has the jet and all that, but no, she, she can definitely fly, yeah. Uh, number two, why is Atlantis an air-filled dome? My understanding is that Arthur and all the other Atlanteans are fish-like creatures. Why would they block out the surrounding water and live like, like surface dwellers? Who the fuck knows? <laughs> it's that plain and simple. It doesn't make Co- sense. Copy-paste, copy-paste. <laughs> <laughs> Keep up the good work, fellas, and many thanks for re-sparking my love for all things comics. Almost done. Good. We'll be at the launch site in less than an hour. And then? I shoot these cruise missiles into the upper atmosphere. After they explode, the winds will scatter my poison all over the world. And I can say goodbye to some very unpleasant men I've known over the years. You can say goodbye to all of them. First up today is Fury. In episode one, we open up with a group of supervillains led by a woman in white spandex and a tiara. Who looks like uh, She-Ra. Yeah, she does. They break into some building to steal this rare plant. Batman is watching them, and he intervenes, and he takes them all out one by one by one, uh, except for the leader, who easily beats him. Uh, but man- uh, Batman manages to rip off her necklace before he falls unconscious. And the credits roll, and we are shown a department store where Wonder Woman is perusing the makeup counters. And after she leaves, Batman confronts her and tells her that he believes an, anima- uh, an Amazon has begun a crime spree. Diana has her doubts, saying that the necklace could be a forgery and that Amazons never leave the island. Batman replies with, never. What's the word I'm looking for? Oh, yeah, owned. Yeah. Meanwhile, uh, the thief from earlier tells the group that they're next hitting the gem depository, so the woman and her cadre make uh, their move on the gem depository, and she actually says right to a surveillance camera uh, that she hopes the Justice League tries to stop them. So the woman orders the gang to go back to their hideout because she has uh, one last thing to get. Uh, Star Sapphire flies them all out uh, while the leader steals a large ruby. Superman then confronts her, but she kicks him away and throws a grenade at him that makes him extremely ill when it explodes on him. Diana confronts the woman outside, whose name is Aresia, uh, but she throws Diana into a wall and says that uh, she better take care of her friend over there. And we see Superman collapsing out of the hole in the wall onto the street below. And when Diana sees him, his face is green and his veins are all infected with something. It's rather gruesome, actually. Um... Meanwhile, Hot Girl flies to Themyscira and is caught by the Amazons and brought before Hippolyta. And Hot Girl says that she's a friend of Diana's and that they believe an Amazon has begun a, uh, begun a crime spree in the outside world. And to prove it, she shows Hippolyta the necklace, and she immediately knows that it belongs to Aresia. So uh, they go out to a tower on the Themyscirian beach where Aresia was supposed to be in solitary confinement, meditating or something. Hippolyta reveals that she was not... Uh, that. Aresia was not born an Amazon, and that she came from the outside world, and her entire childhood was just a, a total tragedy. It was full of violence. Uh, enemies of uh, her country constantly terrorized her people, and they finally, after years of this, managed to escape uh, to the sea. 
but unfortunately they were attacked there also, and these terrorists destroyed their, their little rickety ship that they were on, and Aresia was apparently the only survivor. She uh, clung to some piece of wreckage to keep from drowning, and she washed up on Themyscira, where Hippolyta found her and nursed her back to health. And they, she explains that they magically imbued her with Amazonian strength that set her on a course for becoming a quote-unquote true Amazon. Uh, and in her tower in the present, they find uh, books, maps, and city guides, all of which are forbidden in Themyscira because Hippolyta says that uh, we don't want these things you know, to taint our culture or whatever. And uh, the books are particularly alarming because they all have to do with germ warfare. Uh, so we go to the Watchtower. Superman is unconscious, and Jean says he'll do whatever he can to help him, but you know nobody knows anything about Kryptonian physiology. Uh, Green Lantern flies up to the Watchtower with Flash, who is also sick. Green Lantern then collapses. He's sick. Uh, at the villain's hideout, Aresia crushes the large ruby into dust and throws it into this vat of chemicals, and the, the gang all demands to know what the hell she's doing. And she uh, responds by throwing a gas grenade at them, knocking all of them out except for uh, Sakuri, this uh, Japanese sword wielder. Batman and Hawkgirl are seen flying through the skies in the Batwing when they hear of a massive crisis in Metropolis. I don't know if it was a Metropolis or Gotham City. I think yeah. it's I, in my notes. I wrote Gotham with a question I, mark. So yeah, yeah, I think yeah, I think it is Gotham. Actually, people are sick everywhere, and then Batman notes that the only people being affected by this are the men, and that's where part one ends. What are you thinking? Okay, what I think about this this is kind of getting into the story as a whole, not just this first part. Is I think it's a solid but thin story overall. This isn't one I would throw in the DVD player to watch because it's so darn entertaining, but this is the this is the perfect example of the whole I'd have it on as background noise. If I saw it on TV, I wouldn't change the channel type of story. It's not inspired at all, but it's something different. It's them having to face the darker side of Wonder Woman, basically. What if Wonder Woman showed up in Man's World and took her mother's teachings to to heart that man's world is dangerous, you know, and, and then took it to its extreme that that it should be expunged from the planet, and that only women should run the planet. You know, that that's what's going on here. So so it's interesting to to see that. What about you? I actually this is one of the rare cases where I think the first episode was better than the second one because I think this was a really good setup episode. Aresia was put over very well, and you know her plan is pretty good if you know like as you said thin uh i loved the hawk girl and batman interaction in the batwing <laughs> where she's yeah like, the what you know you wonder what trauma like that would do to a child <laughs> and uh that's gonna something like that's gonna come up later on where batman has an opportunity to s- say something but he doesn't <laughs> but that's the thing like i don't have very many notes for the for this entire thing as a whole just because you like as you said it's very thin very superficial one thing i will I have to call into question here is the the firefighters, the women at the end there mm-hmm. who's spraying water on high voltage. Yeah. High voltage yeah. fire. I don't no. think that's going to be very productive. No, I think you use foam in that case. In that case, I could be wrong, but I think that's how it's done. <laughs> I believe so. Yes. Yeah. I'm right there with you. Um, you know, I only have a handful of notes for this entire story. And for the first part, I only have one. And as you were talking, I wrote down a second one. And that second one being, uh, you had noted that Wonder Woman says that her people don't leave the island. I think there's a little more to it in that she says, my people don't steal or leave the island. Isn't that right? Uh, yes. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yes. Didn't she steal the Wonder Woman costume? 
Yes. Before she, she left the island, I think I think the really is meant to be just for the leave the island portion of what she said, but it can also be applied to the other part because um yeah, and let's not forget that in the last Wonder Woman centric episode, she was stealing, well, technically, yeah, she did steal that thing from the museum, so she was stealing again. Well, Shit, should I just go ahead and get into episode two? Well, no, there's there's a little more I want to say about... Well, I guess what I want to say kind of gets in episode two, but I'm going to say it now anyways. What I did like about this one is the focus on the female villains. You know, She-Ra, or whatever the hell her name is. Star, Saf- Star Sapphire, and uh, what did you say her name was? Sakuri? Sakuri, yes. Right, yeah, who... I, I thought it was like supposed to be Katana, but just as a villain. But I looked it up, and it's not. Um, just based on her, I think. I'm not entirely sure. But I, I, I like that. I definitely did, because the Justice League cartoon, what, there's seven members on the team, only two of them are women. So it's nice to see a more female-centric story here. It's just a shame that it couldn't have been a stronger story. Like I said, it's it's not terrible, and I think my score is actually going to reflect that. It's just uh-huh. could have been stronger. All right, well, episode two begins... Back in Gotham City, where the city is in really, really bad shape, even more so than normal. Uh, buildings <laughs> are on fire. Vehicles are crashing everywhere. Ah, that's all... Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it really is. It's just take that and multiply it like a thousandfold. Yeah, oh, that's Thursday in Gotham. <laughs> well, shit. I'm sorry, continue. <laughs> no, I guess 10,000-fold be a weekend. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, it's a lot worse. <laughs> so... The female EMTs and firefighters are the only ones who can do anything since they're not affected by this allergen. And Batman eventually succumbs to it, too. Aboard the Watchtower, Hawkgirl, Diana, and Jean try to figure out what to do next. And so the two ladies decide, let's just go after Arisha. Durr. <laughs> <laughs> Arisha reveals to uh, Sakuri and Star Sapphire uh, that she plans to wipe out the entire male population on Earth, whom she believes to be the source for all suffering and strife in the world. They eventually make their way to an Air Force base to steal a stealth bomber. Uh, Hippolyta herself confronts them, but they take her down and hold her prisoner. And Diane and Hawkgirl are lured to the base by Star Sapphire, uh, but they're unable to stop them from taking off. And Hawkgirl finds a sample of the allergen somewhere in the base. I don't know where that came from, but she can't take it to Jean for analysis because now he's been afflicted by this uh, disease. So, Diana takes off after the villainesses, uh, who plan to unleash the allergen into the atmosphere with missiles. Eventually, Hawkgirl and Diana both get aboard the bomber, and Hippolyta frees herself, and it's at this point that Hippolyta reveals to Aresia that if it weren't for men, she wouldn't even be alive. Uh, after her ship sank, the ship's captain saved her and swam her to Themyscira, where he immediately died from a heart attack uh, from the massive physical exertion. So, Aresia owes her life to a man. Arisha says, you lied to me! And uh, she follows it up by saying, you know what, fuck it, I'm still killing all the men anyway. So she punches Hippolyta off of the bomber, Hawkgirl has to save her, Diana fights Arisha inside the bomber, uh, while Sakuri arms the missiles, but Hawkgirl slams all of the hatch doors uh, with her mace so they can't open all the way, and so the missiles are armed inside the bomber and are about to explode, so Sakuri bails out, and Diana continues the fight with Arisha, but Arisha knocks Diana through the windshield and tries to get the bomber back on course, but it explodes and she dies. So, the, And the episode ends with Hippolyta lamenting her tragic life and hopes the gods will grant her peace at last. There's something I actually remembered about the first episode that I didn't say when we were talking about it, so let me throw that in real quick. Okay. 
at this point, Wonder Woman has probably been living on in man's world for about a year. Because how what was that bit of dialogue when she was in the jet flying back home? She was in a room alone for eight months or something like that? Something like eight months. Right. So so factor in a few more months since then to you know, to this story. Probably about a year. And she there's that scene where she's in the mall and she she doesn't she you know, she's like, Why would you want to cover up your natural beauty? And the woman spritzes her with the perfume and she gets completely disgusted with her. I just find it hard to believe that even after a year, she's still not I can understand not being fully integrated with man's world, in quotes there, but what, she, she hasn't visited a mall before? You know, it, it's like it's like she just set foot in, in America. Yeah, I thought Flash was going to be showing her the ropes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, it kind of bothers me that she doesn't even have a secret identity. Where, where does she live? On the Watchtower? What, what, what does she do? I mean, we, we never get any of this with her. I mean, granted, we don't get it with... Well, we really only know Superman and Batman, if you want the truth. But it really bothers bothers me with Wonder Woman, because if she's supposed to be this big ambassador of peace, how is she not allowing the Flash or someone to show her the ropes? You know, why isn't she being a bridge between the two worlds? It's, 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 it's lame. It's terribly weak. But enough of that. What about this second part here? Well, like I said, I, I am nowhere near as... You know, happy with this one as the first one, and I wasn't overly thrilled with the first one. So, mm-hmm. how does Hippolyta know so much about Aresia's history when the captain died right upon bringing her to the shore? Aresia could have told her, but she was unconscious the whole time. You could f- basically figure that Hippolyta pieced it together. She she got a little bit from Aresia that the, the ship was under attack, you know, and she herself just thinks she saved herself by grabbing some piece of driftwood and then floating to the island. But Hippolyta knows that it was actually a man. She somehow she figured out it was the captain. I don't know. Um, brought her to shore, so she just she just pieced it together, I guess, and then got the whole backstory about the war from her when she was a little girl. I guess I don't know. Okay. Well, my main problem with this second episode is that the whole part with the stealth bomber dragged on way too long. My God, it was like the last ten minutes of the episode. It was yeah. just hideously too long. This, I mean, this might. I, this is kind of an episode where I'd be, like we said with, uh, what was it, the Green Lantern episode, where it's like an episode and ten minutes. Yeah. That's that's what this one is, too. However, this episode is at least memorable for one of the greatest lines ever uttered in any DCAU cartoon. Don't knock it till you've tried it, sister. <laughs> After one woman asked Hawkgirl uh, about how, how can men be so essential or something like that. Yeah, they can't possibly be that essential to your life. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that actually ties back into the point I was making about Wonder Woman being at the mall and how has she not been exploring the world. How can she have spent, you know, 9, 10, 11, 12 months in our world and think that men are are non-essential? Yeah. Especially when you consider that every member of the Justice League has saved her life many times over at this mm-hmm. point. You know, she's it's not just her and, 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 and Hawkgirl that are the Justice League. There's men on that team, too. She absolutely, absolutely sees how essential men are every day when she fights with them. It's, it's, it's crap. I understand what they were doing here. They were trying to show you opposite sides of the same coin. Both uh, Wonder Woman and Aresia were, were were brought up to 
believe in what Hippolyta was saying. Wonder Woman decided to explore man's world and see if what her mom said was right, whereas Aresia decided, oh no, she is right, and I'm going to take it to the extreme and eradicate the male population. That's what they're trying to do here, but half the time Wonder Woman comes off as a big old man-hater herself. She's just not dropping the bombs with her quote-unquote sister. And, and I have to ask, you, you were talking about the captain a second ago. Why, why in the bloody blue fucking hell would Hippolyta have kept that portion of her origin out, or just kept it from her, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Why would she lie? Why would she not tell her that she was saved by someone? Why would she let her to believe that she just clung to a piece of wood and drifted? It, it makes no sense. And then furthermore... Hippolyta, she's like, oh, he's the only man buried on Paradise Island, which is a great honor, right? But then when asked why she didn't tell the, the then little girl about the captain that saved her life, she says, and I quote, I didn't think he was important. Then why the fuck did you honor and mourn him? If he wasn't important, you would have taken his body and thrown it back in the sea. You wouldn't have buried him on a land that is never supposed to be touched by the feet of men. It doesn't make any flippin' sense, in, in, in no matter how you look at it. It's frustrating, and now that I'm talking this out, my grade is coming down. <laughs> Probably down to where my grade is. <laughs> oh my god, I'm seriously... Normally, like, when we do our grades, you know, we'll hem and haw at the end. I've just totally just dropped it at least a point here. Wow. Uh, what else about this one? There's got to be more. I think my only other thing I want to note is just how just utterly non-essential Sakuri was. <laughs> she was just there, I guess, as hired muscle, quote-unquote, but I couldn't stand her voice actor. I don't know who that was, but her her voice actor or actress was not good at all. Okay. Uh, I, just very, very flat, very little uh, emotion. Okay. This Again, this is something from the first part. This is... <laughs> like the one note I well yeah the one note I really wrote down about it was how did she spread that plague so quickly across Gotham? It's like all of a sudden every man in Gotham is falling over. What the fuck? How did she do that? They never even like she's making whatever she's making. Next thing you know, guys are just dying on the streets. Yeah, a, a, a little even just a little exposition would have been nice, guys. You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh. Oh, and I love, and of course I say that sarcastically, the, the little bit of dialogue where I don't remember who uttered it. I didn't write down who said it, but uh, someone says his eyes are glassy and non-responsive. Uh, what about the blue-green veins all over his skin? You know, <laughs> like, like, oh no, let's, let's, he's clearly got this plague because his eyes are glassy and non-responsive. Never mind the lines that are just appearing on his body. Fuck it was you. one of the EMTs. <laughs> Fuck her then, you know? <laughs> uh, but, you know, all my all my grousing aside, I really enjoyed that action scene of Batman chasing the bus, getting into the bus, flipping the bus over, and then, it, like, crashing into the fire truck, and then all the water pouring out, and then he's, you know, because he's, he's being affected by the plague at that point. Yes. Uh, he's he's Batmaning up. I was going to say manning up, but he's Batman, so he has to go one step further. He's sucking it up, and he's he's doing what he has to do, and then he basically stumbles out of the broken windshield, and one of them catches him and does her thing. That was a great action scene. Awesome. Awesome. And I loved how he broke the window. He didn't just throw a battering at it. He actually used his grappling hook to, yes. to shatter it. So cool. And uh, I, I can't remember who it was. I think it was Green Lantern collapsed right into Wonder Woman's breasts when he... <laughs> yeah. 
Della Conscious. Yeah. <laughs> Had to yeah, note yeah. that. <laughs> yes. I have a theory on how you came to be here. As an expert in nuclear physics, I have long hypothesized that there are an infinite number of parallel dimensions, each containing its own planet Earth. Each Earth occupies the same location in space, but vibrates at a different speed. Flash, the energy blast you absorbed caused you to match the vibration rate of our Earth. So he created a tear in the dimensional barriers which brought us here. Hey, it was an accident, okay? But this still doesn't explain the Justice Guild comics I read when I was a kid. Perhaps the creators of those comics had a subconscious link to this Earth. What they thought was merely imagination was a psychic memory of the Justice Guild's real exploits. I couldn't have put it better myself. Next up is Legends. This one starts out with a giant green and purple robot uh, trashing probably Metropolis, because we're supposed to assume it's Luthor that was doing it, right? Yes. Okay, because they never say it was Luthor, but it's a green and purple robot, and we sort of see the guy... Prototype 3. Right. <laughs> from, and, and... Neon, from Neon Genesis Evangelion. <laughs> but, yeah, so it's Luthor is using some giant robot. He's remote-controlling it from some yacht of his off the coast of wherever the fuck Metropolis is. And it's it's attacking, it's doing its thing, and the robot starts to go critical, if I remember correctly, right? Yeah, because Batman, well, Superman opens its back up and That's Batman right. throws a batarang into it. Right. So it's it's doing its thing, and it's, it's falling over, and Flash starts running as pretty much as fast as he can, starts creating a whirlwind, and basically, you know, try to catch the robot so it doesn't crush the Justice League team below, I think is what it is. And yes. he, something in the reactor core mixes with Flash's vibration as he's running around, and the the robot, it explodes, but it saves, you know, he's able to save the team. But all we see is this giant crater. It's sort of like, you know, when the Terminators show up and anything that around them is just kind of burnt in a circular fashion. That's what happens there. Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman was never even there, was she? Oh, she didn't appear in this episode. Right, yeah. So Batman and Superman are left on a roof just going, hmm, want to get some coffee? So they go off to Starbucks. And the rest of the team, that being a Huck Girl... Flash, Green Lantern, and Martian Manhunter, right? Yes. Am I missing anybody there? No. No, just a four. Okay. They wake up in this world, and, you know, that fight took place at night. Now, all of a sudden, it's daytime. And they wake up in this world that's much brighter. It looks like the 1950s, or what we think of the 1950s, like what we see on TV and the movies, where everybody's like, hey, chum, how you doing? Isn't it great to be alive? Yay! You know, that, that, that kind of happy-go-lucky world. Well, they're walking around going, whoa, what the fuck happened? And they wonder if they time-traveled. Uh, someone grabs a newspaper, looks at it, and they're like, no, the date's right. This is today. What What the hell? Let's see. As they're standing around um, a villain, I think it's it's the music meister, right? Or the music master, yes. sorry. <laughs> the music yeah. master. Uh, he, he breaks out of wherever he's breaking. Not breaks out of, but he's fleeing whatever crime he's committing. And uh, He was stealing the uh, uh, Stradivarius. That's it, yeah. And uh, the, the the League is able to stop him, but, you know, they, they, don't, they don't stop him. They're able to get the, the Stradivarius from him. And he gets away, though, if I remember correctly. And yes. uh, so <laughs> Flash and Green Lantern are, like, holding this thing. And these other superheroes show up, and it's the Justice Guild. And they think that these guys are the ones who perpetrated this crime. So a big... Typical superhero or superhero versus superhero fight ensues, you know, with the whole misunderstanding. They're fighting. They're, you know, their powers are matching e each other here. Um, 
And at one point, their little sidekick, Ray, he's standing uh, next to a building. Uh, something happens to the building, and some debris is going to fall down and kill him. But Flash runs over there, and he's able, he grabs Ray, spirits him away, and uh, I think it was Tom Turbine that sees that, right? Yes. Yeah, Tom Turbine sees that, and he stops the fight. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Anybody who would risk his own life to save another life can't be a dastard. So let's sit down and talk. So they go back to the Justice uh, the Justice Guild, uh, you know, like the Brownstone headquarters. And, you know, Green Lantern reveals that something's really weird here because these people were comic book characters that he grew up reading. He grew up reading, I think it was his uncle's comics, and that's who they are, so what's going on? And they they kind of figure out that maybe what happened was that this is a real parallel Earth, and the creators of the comic books in the Justice League universe somehow inadvertently psychically tapped into their adventures and turned those into comics. So we've basically got an Earth 1, Earth 2 thing going on here. The four villains, they hook up. It's uh, the Music Master, Sportsman, uh, Sir... Was it Sir Swami? Yes. Sir Swami and Dr. Blizzard. Uh, they all meet up, and they're like, Oh, those those good guys, how dare they foil our stupid plans? And so uh, they, they say, Hey, let's, let's have a contest. And whoever uh, comes out on top will get to plan the, the bigger heist, and we'll just all go along with it, and that'll basically be... be the heist, the end all heist, and it will finally dispose of the Justice Guild and these new superheroes that are hanging around. The the cops show up to the to the headquarters <laughs> saying, "Oh look, the, the, we got a letter from the bad guy." Sorry, I'm trying to do the bad Irish voice that the, that the actor was doing, and I'm not going to continue it. Sergeant of Narity. Yeah, exactly. And or whatever his name was. Yeah. The letter basically says, "Look." You know, we are going to commit crimes based on the four elements of the old world. Earth, wind, fire, water. And, you know, I forget who it was. Flash, maybe. You know, Hawkgirl, probably. Uh, said, whoa, <laughs> what kind of criminal tells you what they're going to be doing? And, you know, this is this is all standard procedure for the Justice Guild. And they're like, let's split up. We'll break up into teams. And we'll go out and stop them. Uh, the teams... Okay, let me see if I can do this from memory. It was uh, Green Lantern and... Okay, don't help me, don't help me, don't help me. Um, it wasn't Streak. It, who, who did he team up with? you got to help me now. I can't remember. Didn't he team up with the Green Guardsman? No, the Green Guard, Guardsman teamed up with Hawkgirl because they went after the plane. Oh, no, I know. It was Streak. Uh, or what is it? What is his face? The Speed guy. Speed yeah, it was Streak. No. Yeah. Streak. Okay, yeah. okay, so it was Streak, yeah. Those two team up. Um, Catman, the sidekick, Ray... And John Jones, they team up. They go after Sportsman. I should say uh, Green Lantern and Streak. Uh, I don't remember who they went after. It doesn't really matter. Let's see. Black Siren and Flash teams up. This is where Flash pulls that line. Oh, let's partner up with the person on our left. Remember, I thought he did it in Secret Origin. <laughs> this is where he does it. And then what would be the final team? Tom. No, that's it. Yeah, because Tom Turbine stays behind. Right. Yeah. So I guess I guess those are the teams there. And uh, they go after all these bad guys. Um, trying to stop them. And basically, along the way, all of the bad guys actually do get away. Sportsman steals a trophy? And somehow that's going to be worth money. I don't fucking know. Uh, Sir Swami steals, I think, some sort of jewel. Music Master, I keep wanting to call him the Music Ma uh, Meister, steals uh, basically the Wright Brothers. An accent. <laughs> yeah, basically steals the Wright Brothers plane. And Dr. Blizzard was going to be 
stealing some dolphin fountain thing. I don't fucking know. But he is actually the one that ends up winning the contest of these villains because he's actually able to capture Black Siren and the Flash. You don't know how hard it is not to say Black Canary. Um, Black Siren (laughs) and the Flash in a block of ice, and he brings it back to their headquarters. They're like, oh, well, you're clearly the best of all of us. So, yay, you get to plan whatever we're going to do. Meanwhile, I don't even know how she comes across it, but Hawkgirl ends up on a hill, and she ends up seeing all of these tombstones and the tombstones read the names of the entire justice guild. They're dead. So bum, bum, bum. There we go. Did I leave anything out? I don't think so. You know what? I did. I did. Uh, when they first arrive there, John Jones has a really apocalyptic vision that cripples him. And that will of course play out in the second part. And Tom turbine also mentions that he has Mm -hmm. some kind of, some kind of portal that could send the Justice League back to their world, but he doesn't know how to power it. Right. So, so what were you thinking here? I love, love, love this whole, just this whole two-parter. It's just epically awesome. The animation in this in this whole thing is just spot-on brilliant. Um, the final bit in the beginning scene with Flash saving the Justice League with the tornado, the scorched earth and buildings, and the Superman and Batman looking on was just absolutely stellar yeah can't, i can't say enough about it i also mentioned that the uh, prototype three from neon genesis makes an appearance here <laughs> controlled by lex luthor for some reason <laughs> that was so weird it looked exactly like it okay fine neon genesis whatever it's called is is in continuity we'll cover that too we'll cover that too all right <laughs> well you better prepare to have your brain melted <laughs> you're, you're gonna want to quit after like five episodes of that <laughs> oh no okay never mind that <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i i just i love everything about this this whole two-parter i love the the mystery the like what you know it, right from the beginning when they're transported to this alternate earth and john has those apocalyptic divisions you're like whoa what is going on here and i love i love the character of tom turbine because right from the start he he knows what what happened and it you can buy it yeah. in, in comic book, you know, in your suspension of disbelief. You can absolutely buy that there are an infinite number of alternate worlds and Flash just happened to go at the exact speed it would take to get to that world. And I love that, uh, you know, John, they tie it in with John's childhood when he, you know, read the comics of these, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Silver Age superheroes. It's... I, I just I know I'm, I'm going to ramble on this just because it's it's one of those episodes where I'm going to ramble just because every I love everything about it. Yeah. Well, the good thing about this one is everybody has something to do. As you said, it was the Flash who got them there. It was Green Lantern's childhood memories uh, of of reading comics that uh, unravel some of the mystery. Uh, the Martian Manhunter. You know, he's the one having these visions, and at the end of the day, he's the one who figures out who's who's doing... Oh, I'm trying to not spoil anything. But he's the one that figures out who's pulling the strings here. And, you know, Hawkgirl doesn't have a whole hell of a lot to do, but she still gets to shine. Her personality does, because she... <laughs> because she has to go get cookies. But, I mean, you really get to see... One more word, and you'll be the fastest man alive with a limp. Yeah. You know, I mean, we we really get to see how much 
you know, okay, how much the world has changed, but how much comics have changed, too. Because that's pretty much how it would have been in the 40s or 50s when the comics were being published. You know, you know, in the world and in comics, you know, the woman, she was a respected member of the team or of a family, but she was still going to go to the kitchen and get coffee and cookies and some cake for the guys as they discussed business. You know, but now, you know, women still, you know, uh, have that role, but it's not for the most part, it's not automatically assumed that they're going to do that just so the boys can talk, you know? Mm-hmm. And so black, black siren, I want to say black canary again. And, uh, but, what do you call but it? isn't her name in the episode, like Dinah Nance or something Well, yeah, like that's, that. that's the thing. And I'll get, I'll get to that in a little bit, but so, you know, and we, so, but then we get Hawk girl, who's the opposite end of the spectrum and is all like, fuck that. You guys get your own goddamn cookies. you know? <laughs> and then later on, she's like, I'm not getting dessert. <laughs> She's awesome. Awesome. But anyways, uh, yes, we have well, to address. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, similarly along those lines, when uh, Green Lantern and Streak go out on their separate yes, mission. Yes. Yeah, Got to mention this. Streak says, you're a credit to your people, son. And, yeah. you know, John looks at him like, thanks, yeah. I think. Yeah. That was awesome. Yeah. Because you, it was clearly not meant to be offensive, but it was clearly meant to show, you know, the civil rights movement back in that time. Right, you know? yeah, exactly. I mean, he, you know, uh, Streak was just, he was saying what he thought was a very respectful thing, but, you know, your people, you, you know? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, don't say that. <laughs> yes, let's address this. For whatever reason, they decided not to, or maybe couldn't, use the original Justice Society of America characters. So they created analogs of them. So Green Guardsman is, of course, the original Green Lantern. Uh, Streak is the original Flash. And I don't mean Barry Allen, I mean Jay Garrick. Black Siren, the original Black Canary. Catman is kind of a combination of Batman and Wildcat. And Tom Turbine is the Atom. As for the villains, Music Master, he's the Fiddler. Sportsman is the Sports Master. Sir Swami is the Wizard. And Dr. Blizzard is the Icicle. Now, as for their real names, you know, we don't get all of their real names. But from what we can see on the tombstones, his name is Scott Mason. The original Green Lantern was Alan Scott. So Scott Mason, Alan Scott. Catman, his name is Tom Blake. That's actually the same. Batman, you know, the, the Batman has a villain named Catman whose name is Tom Blake. And uh, Black Siren, as James said, uh, it's Donna Nance, where the original Black Canary, Black Canary was Dinah Lance. So, yeah. And there's one more connection there in that the original Green Lantern didn't wasn't able to... <laughs> his weakness was wood? What? What the fuck? You know, and the Green Guardsman, his weakness is aluminum or aluminium or however other people say it. Ian. <laughs> yeah, so I just I just had to throw it out there. Uh, oh, and then uh, Ray. Shit, I just lost it. I think he's supposed to be a stand in for both like Ray Bradbury and. Um, oh, fuck. Roy Thomas. Roy Thomas. The... That's it. Yeah. Absolutely. And I'm assuming, you know, maybe he's supposed to take the place of Snapper Carr. I don't know. I don't know about the Snapper thing, but you're right. It's Roy Thomas and uh, probably Ray Bradbury there. So, yeah. Uh, what else about this first part? What else? There's there's plenty more to say. Going back to the animation, another little animation note I love. When Tom Turbine first appears on the building, the look on Flash's face 
is so hysterical. I cannot even begin to... I, I'm going to try and find a screen grab and post it in our feedback okay. thread. yeah. Because it is so funny. It is like something straight out of Looney Tunes, like in the late 1940s during their heyday. Okay. It was just... It, it was so funny. I, I had to pause my DVD. I was laughing so hard. Again, I love the animation in this in both episodes here. Now, what did you think about the designs of the Justice Guild? Because I loved them. I mean... They paid respect to the characters that they were paying homage to. But whatever, same, whatever you're going to say right here, I'm going to say I agree with. Okay. But they were original <laughs> enough to set them apart, I felt. You know, I mean, you could see who they were supposed to be, but I don't know. I bought that they were different characters all the same. Yep. Um, and I, I love. I'm sorry, go ahead. I, I was say, I especially like Tom Turbine. That's what I was just about to say. Yes. I love his squinty eyes. <laughs> <laughs> They're just like little lines all the time. Like he's always just he's, smiling. He's almost like he threw in some Captain Marvel in there with him. Exactly. That's very much, I think, what they were doing there. Yeah. I really dug the villains design-wise. You know, they were that very cheesy early Silver Age, maybe late Golden Age look. Um, I think my favorite out of all of them, I mean, Dr. Blizzard looks great with the blue and the icicles hanging off of him. But I just... Point I, nose. What's the, and the pointy nose, right? Yeah. I, I just love Sir Swami, though. I don't know why. You know, I was kind of partial to Music Master myself. Oh, he's great. They're all great. They're absolutely all great. ML Sportsman's kind of. He looks like um, uh, uh is it Dick? No, not Dick Clark. Um, I want to say he he reminds me of some um, either not a Dick Tracy villain, but um, damn it, who the fuck am I thinking? I don't even know what I'm thinking of now. <laughs> there, for me, there's an actor I'm thinking of, and I had his name, and I didn't write it down because I'm like, I'll remember. Now, when it comes time to, time to say it, I don't remember. Jimmy Durante? No, no. Fuck. Like a modern actor? No, 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 no. Classic actor. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But his design was kind of weak. Very, very weak. But I don't know. The villains looked really cool. The heroes looked cool. Um, I liked how they set apart the different color greens between Guardsman and Lantern. Yes. You know, Guardsman's yes. green was much more muted. Uh, where, you know, the lantern's green is very bright, almost neon at times. Uh, that that was cool. Overall, the only thing that really disappointed me, and this, this goes for the whole story, is that Black Siren didn't have a siren scream. I don't know. Someone write in and do let me know. I don't know if the original Black Canary had a siren scream. So if she didn't, it would make sense for her not to have it here. But I was a little disappointed that she didn't have a power. My only gripe here is, you know, I wonder why Flash didn't just vibrate out of the ice block. Yes, yes, yes. Because we've seen him do it already, haven't we? Yeah, in, uh, uh, Speed Demons or whatever it was, the Superman, the animated series episode. Yeah, yeah. Could have been a different Flash. Who knows? <laughs> of course. There. Yes. We'll just go with that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, 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 I love the scene. I think it was, yeah, it was this one. <laughs> the bus full of nuns going towards... Oh, God. <laughs> what was it? They were going towards what? They were going to crash into a TNT truck, truck or something? TNT, yes. <laughs> and a flash is just, what does he say? Just like, of course? Oh, or no, you've got to be kidding me. You're kidding me, yeah. <laughs> but I found it all the more hilarious that um, a truck full of TNT crashes into a building and there's barely an explosion. But when you punch a television... In the DCAU, there's a huge <laughs> explosion. 
different eras? <laughs> Question mark? Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, I love that scene with the nuns when they all start doing the thing, the... Oh, what's that? Yeah. Frost. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not Christian. I don't know. But I, uh, I don't. Yeah. Whatever that is. <laughs> they all just start praying. <laughs> Maybe it's a Hail Mary. I don't know. Yeah. It's great. Yep. Oh, and then, of course, when uh, the the guardsman has to stop uh, Hawk Girl from just. Because, again, all she ever wants to do is just break stuff with that mace. She's just yep. going to destroy that plane. And he's like, no, we must. We must respect our, our, our aviation heritage. And she's like, Cultural the, fuck? Just... the fuck is your problem? <laughs> we can stop this guy. I gotta hit him in the head. I don't care about your stupid plane. Rebuild it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so picking up where we left off. Let's see. Okay, uh, Hawk Girl, Green Lantern, and I think John Jones are hanging outside the back of the guild headquarters. Uh, they're talking about uh, the tombstones that she had seen. And Green Lantern's all like, I don't want to believe it! And he just flies off and is having a hissy fit, I guess. Um, let's see what happens from there. I can't remember. Uh, they the graveyard. Yeah, basically, yeah, we cut to the graveyard. He's, he's looking at the, the headstones. She's like, see, I told you so. And he's like, damn you, woman. And, uh, fuck. I, just, I love this episode, and I can't remember what, <laughs> the order of this shit here. Um, help me well, out. This is out. where they see the, the ice cream truck just going around aim, in circles, right. never, ever stopping. Right. We didn't mention the ice cream truck the first time, which, and the first time they see it, they eye suspiciously for no good goddamn reason. But yeah, they see it again. They, uh, they being Hawkgirl and Green Lantern, they fly down to it and they're like, whoa, 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 what's going on? And, uh, what's going on with this world? He's like, nothing. Everything's peachy keen. He's like, but I have to go. I have to deliver my ice cream. And they're like, yeah, but you never stop. He's like, yeah, business has been a little slow lately. Um, they ask him about the headstones, and he's like, okay, I, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm, I'm just out of here. So he speeds away. At this point, is this when the villains kind of reveal what they're doing here? I believe so, yeah. Okay, basically, there's, there's a giant blimp floating overhead. They just got word that the four villains have robbed a bank or something. And uh, the Green Guardsman is going to shoot a green arrow at it. And Tom Turbine stops him. And he's like, no, look, uh, you can't shoot it down. Because attached to the side of it is the Flash and Black Siren. So uh, using various means, they all get up to the blimp. Um, Catman does something particularly cool where he rides his motorcycle up some stairs and then up an ele- or into a building and then uh, up an elevator. <laughs> Turns it around in the elevator, nonetheless, while it's moving. Yeah. Uh, very cool. Very cool, sir. And uh, then uh, <laughs> drives it across the rooftop, uses like a, a skylight or something as a little ramp and lands on the balloon. He lands on the balloon with a thud that they somehow hear. I don't I don't quite understand how they heard the thud, but whatever. Over the fans of whatever, you know, or whatever is powering that thing. You know, a, a big fight ensues inside there. The villains start getting thrown out left and right, uh, but they get caught, of course. Um, the Flash, he decides to bring the blimp down by himself. He actually throws his head back, and he uses the little uh, decorative lightning bolts on the side of his head by his ears to puncture it. And he's, like, decorative and functional or something like that. And uh, so it slowly starts to descend back to the street. 
the villains are caught, and it would seem that the, the, the day is saved, but that's not true. And while that fight was going on, Green Lantern and Hawkgirl, they actually went to the public library. Why they decided to go to the library, I don't know, but they do. They quickly discover that all of the books are blank. So John starts getting really pissed off, starts throwing books around, and I think it's Hawkgirl who's like, well, why don't we check out the archives? And the newspaper archives, because clearly newspapers still exist in this world. We saw it in the beginning. So it was a good idea. So when they go down to what's supposed to be the basement, they open up the door, but there's a brick wall in their way. And John's like, why am I not surprised? Hawkgirl finally gets to smash something, breaks the brick wall, and it leads into the subway, and it's totally ruined. There's even a train stopped there all messed up. They wonder if it's a nuclear explosion. Hawkgirl looks at it. She goes, no, these are battle scars. What's going on? John finds a newspaper just sort of randomly laying on the ground, dated something like 50 years ago. And, uh, you know, it, the, the newspaper gives you a clue as to what's happening. Basically, they were on the brink of some sort of nuclear destruction. Uh, they all meet back up at the Justice Guild headquarters. The ones who are in the fight are all like, yeah, time for milk and cookies. Black Siren, go get those. So John <laughs> and Shaira, they're sitting at the table, like, just brooding. And they're like, hey, thanks for showing up to the fight, you two. And they're like, shut up and read this paper. And no one wants to believe that not only did this world die in some sort of atomic explosion, but they really don't want to believe that the Justice, Justice Guild pardon me, perished. I mean, uh, the streak is sort of like, well, maybe it could have happened, but I don't know. That just doesn't seem right because uh, we're alive. So um, as they're trying to convince the Guild that this is happening, they get a phone call from Sergeant Irishman, and uh, <laughs> he, he's like, oh my god, there's a giant robot attacking the city, and the guild's like, let's go beat up some robot, but uh, Green Lantern stops them from exiting, and he's like, no, we have to address this right now, they're like, don't you find it weird that every time anybody gets close to the truth, something happens, a bus full of nuns is going towards, you know, a TNT truck, a robot attacks, whatever. Yeah, all the library books being empty. Right, yeah, the books being empty, all this and that. And they're like, oh, well, uh, we don't, yeah, okay, maybe something, I don't know. But they still want to go stop the robot. Well, they're like, no, we have to, we really have to deal with this. And then Martian Manhunter steps up, and he's like, look, I know who knows the answer, and it's Ray over here. And Ray's like, what? I, I, I don't know anything. And John probes his mind. In so doing, uh, reveals Ray's true form. And that true form is some big-headed, pink, mutated, brainy thing. And he uses his psychic powers then to start to bring the building down. The robot shows up there. A uh, huge fight ensues. I don't even know what the fuck happens to the robot. But they decide... Oh, uh, yeah, okay, yeah, the guild is taking care of the robot. The league is taking care of the mutated Ray thing. And uh, after, whatever, the robot disappears or whatever, the, the guild's overlooking the, the their, their headquarters, seeing the league risk themselves for for them, for this world. And they're like, look, we have to go help them. But they say, you know, if this all is just in Ray's imagination, if he's just created this world, won't we die? And they're like, yeah, well, we died for this world once before. You know, we got to do it again. We have to save them. They go down there. Ray's got some psychic bubble around himself. And they all just start punching the bubble? I, I don't know. It somehow stops Ray from doing whatever the hell he's doing. He collapses. 
the real world, this post-apocalyptic version of the world is revealed. As that happens, the the guild they're they're lost in a blinding flash. You know, they they get one last wave to the to the Justice League, but they they they're gone. They're they they really did die. And uh, as Ray's laying there, twitching, uh, I think he does actually twitch. Uh, you know, like the ice cream man shows up, and the cops show up, and various people we saw on the street start showing up. And everybody's like, oh, my God, you're real? And they're like, yeah, um, yeah. So they're like, we're sorry that we revealed your world to be phony. And they're like, no, you know, it was our fault the world got this way. And truly, it was it was a hellish nightmare to be driving that ice cream truck for 40 years. This is a piece of cake. I somehow think he's going to change his tune when they start to <laughs> have to rebuild this <laughs> world. But whatever. The League is then like, well, how the hell are we going to get home? We're fucked. And Green Lantern has an epiphany, and he's just all like, hey, remember that thing Tom Turbine was working on? Let's go see if he really was. It turns out he was. It is down there. It's broken. You know, it's kind of dented and whatnot. But Green Lantern's like, hey, let me see if my ring can charge it, because I never thought of this before. And (laughs) sure enough, he can charge it. Uh, They go through the portal. And that's the end of their adventure on this alternate Earth. But it's not the end of the story, actually. Uh, they're on the satellite. Uh, Flash, of course, is being the horn dog. <laughs> and he's commenting about how hot Black Siren was. Uh, J- uh, John, that being Stuart, is uh, overlooking uh, Earth or he's just looking out at space or whatever. And uh, just sad that, you know, he got to meet his the, these heroes. Turns out they were real. And then they were dead. And they, they died twice, as a matter of fact. He's very upset. And Shayura actually goes up to him to comfort him. And uh, thus truly begins the start of their relationship, I would say. Anything I left out of the second part synopsis? No, I don't think so. Okay. One more can you say. It's the saddest ending since Apocalypse Now. Yeah, it really is. It's not as sad, but it's still very sad, yeah. Yeah. And I'll admit, my eyes kind of welled up when, <laughs> whenever I watch the end of, the, of part two here. Yeah. On a lighter note, Hot Girl busted out Curiouser and Curiouser. Mm. Automatic 10. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what were you you thinking here? Um, I really enjoyed how this story went from being extremely lighthearted to very dark. I mean, it doesn't happen exclusively in this episode. I mean, the darkness starts at the end of the first part. But we lose all of the lighthearted nature. I mean, well... Don't we don't entirely lose it because the big superhero supervillain battle on the blimp that's still lighthearted, but if pretty much from the start of this, I'd say it's seventy five percent dark with about twenty five percent light shining through, and I love how the episode unraveled that way. Uh, we yes. start out, you know, well, start out once we get to this alternate world. Hey, everything's all hunky dory and cheesy. Hey, this is kind of cool. Oh, oh. Oh, oh, this, no, this ain't cool anymore. No, that's good. That's really good writing. And the fact that they're able to draw you in and make you actually care about the Justice Guild, who, you know, we never saw before, never see again, and they do it in just two episodes, make you feel sad that they sacrifice themselves at the end. That's, that's solid stuff. Definitely is. Yeah, I I think my favorite part of either of these episodes is when, Shaira and John are in the, are what they th- hope is going to be the basement of the library, and they bust through the wall. And whoa, <laughs> there's there's a subway, 
and it's completely fucked. It's, yeah. And they pick the paper up, and it's like, I don't know, maybe it's the Cuban Missile Crisis. It was probably around that time. Yeah. And it's like, this is it. This world, it does not exist. At least in this you know bright, shiny, sunshine, pleasant bill yeah. form. Something is fucked up here. Yeah, I love that. That whole scene is one of my favorite scenes in this series. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's a great scene. Don't get me wrong, but for me, it's really that moment when John drops the green barrier, uh, blocking the exit, so the guild can't run off to fight the robot, and he's standing up to them, and uh, he's I don't know, just you know, previously I've moaned about how harsh John can be. You know, that sometimes he seems like a bit of a dick. <laughs> but here, yeah. I feel it's entirely justified. There's this mystery. There are tombstones that have their names on them. The library doesn't make sense. There's a newspaper that seems to contradict the way things seem to be. You know, there there's something not right with this place. We have to deal with this right now. I don't care that superheroes should be out there stopping this robot. This is more important. And I, I just love him in that moment just his hardness there because yeah, maybe this is the because, turning point of his character exactly exactly i mean because for uh, the way i see it is that hardness is coming from his love of these people you know he grew up absolutely loving them he says if if it weren't for those comics he might not have known what honor and heroism was and he may not have that ring so his anger is actually coming from love Yep. I, I kind of call into question the existence of the gravestones anyway, if this is supposed to be Ray's ideal world. I agree with but, you. That's why this will not get up. There's a couple of reasons this won't get a perfect score for me. That's one of them, yes. So, yeah, I mean, they were, I guess they were necessary to further the story. That's the problem. They're convenient for the plot because if this were Ray's perfect world, those wouldn't exist, especially right behind their headquarters. What? Also, if the world had been completely decimated and Ray then, let's just say Ray instantly created this alternate, alternate world, the alternate world on top of the alternate world, who would have had time to, to bury them and make tombstones for them? You know what I'm saying? No matter how you slice it in the real post-apocalyptic alternate reality or in the alternate alternate reality, there's, there's no reason they should be there. But how else were they going to convey what was going on here? You know, they, they needed it, but it is convenient for the plot. It really is. Mm-hmm. Another thing that I thought was a little too convenient was John just knowing that Ray was the quote unquote source? He's just like, why don't you ask Ray? He knows. Well, like, he is a psychic. <laughs> but why didn't he say it before? Uh, there was there was nothing to indicate that he suddenly knew that it was Ray. There wasn't like Ray said something or did something, and John kind of looks at him cockeyed, like, wait, what? Or he got some sort of psychic vibration off of him. <laughs> You know, he just all of a sudden is like, ask the young boy, let me probe his mind, because that's not creepy. Yeah, he he just knows. Yeah, he's psychic, but no clues, none were given. Well, I see where you're coming from. I can still just, I kind of buy it. I can allow it to slide, um, because I'm, I guess I'm just going to come across, uh, from the standpoint of, go back to episode one. Something is screwed up here, but we don't really know what, so he's not really 
thinking about it there. He, you know, he had these, this second, you know, image of this post-apocalyptic world, but he doesn't know what it's, what it means mm. at that point. And, and now that John and Shire have brought all this stuff to light, it's like, oh yeah, maybe I should use my psychic powers. <laughs> well, to, to, okay, you know what? I'll, I'll further, I'll, I'll piggyback what you're saying there. Maybe when John and Shaira were bringing it up, that made Ray, or, yeah, that made Ray scared. He wasn't able to hide it as well as he was before, thus leading to John picking up basically what would be like a flashing beacon over Ray's head. Guilty, guilty, guilty. And th- <laughs> maybe, maybe, but again, uh, just a little clue before then, or. Again, even if it's just John looking at Ray while all this was going on, John looking at Ray and just sort of, you can see him in the background, like maybe just like a raised eyebrow. Does John have eyebrows? But you know what I mean. You know, yeah. that that sort of thing, like, mm, okay, okay, I know what's going on here. And it's something you pick up on a second or third viewing. You know, mm-hmm. I don't want hand-holding, but I do want a little clue all the same. Yeah. On a lighter note, though, I can't remember if it was uh, Tom Turbine or, or whoever, which, which of the guild it was, said... Uh, after the, the uh, Sergeant Irishman thanked him for, for uh, saving the day, he's like, just doing our job, Sergeant. You know immediately what I thought of. I guess they are, in fact, fully deputized <laughs> agents of the law. Nice. <laughs> the Philosopher's Stone. According to legend, it was a gem from the hilt of Excalibur and the true source of the sword's fabled power. Hello, Jason. I assume you're not here to browse. I'm a friend of the owner. You mean that old man? He's 32 years old. He's also an expert in Arthurian lore. What's this all about? Morgan Le Fay. When Camelot fell, Merlin was able to hide the Philosopher's Stone from her. Now she's returned to track it down again. Impossible. You, of all people, should know better. Why does she want the gem? With it, she can resurrect Camelot and place her son Mordred on the throne. Okay. How close is she to finding this Philosopher's Stone? Too close. All right, next up is A Night of Shadows in Episode 1. The op- Well, the opening of this episode is really is the origin of how Jason Blood became tied to the demon Etrigan. Um, oh, what happened- ho, 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 ho. What? If you don't do this entire synopsis in rhyme, you are so fired. Okay. Blood betrayed the royal court... And, um, so everything was out of sort. And, <laughs> He's going to try. Uh, <laughs> and there was this bitch named Morgan Le Fay, and uh, she ruined the day. And, <laughs> yeah, fuck it, I can't do it. I just commend you for trying a couple of lines. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, what really happens is uh, Jason Blood betrays the royal court of Camelot, and... He ultimately caused its downfall at the hands of the aforementioned Morgan Le Fay, a powerful witch whom he believed was in love with him. She was not, and she betrayed him by poisoning him. When these demons and or ogres, whatever the hell they were, start storming the uh, castle, Merlin appears before Jason uh, before he can die and cursed him by binding him to Etrigan for all eternity. After the credits, we open up in the present at the... Office of an expert on Arthurian lore, and he is being carried off uh, by a stretcher, apparently delusional, and he looks to be very, very old. And he's also babbling mystic phrases and all kinds of weird shit. And 
in the background, we see Batman entering the building unseen, and he begins his own investigation. Uh, suddenly, Jason appears, and he tells Batman what's going on. Uh, he says that Morgan Le Fay is after the Philosopher's Stone, which was a supremely powerful magical artifact that can resurrect Camelot so she can place her brat of a son, Mordred, on the throne. And meanwhile, Le Fay and Mordred uh, go to some castle where Le Fay demonstrates uh, one of her more gruesome magical abilities, the that of life force siphoning. And she grabs this woman by by her face and steals all of her life force and, you know, regenerates, I guess, her youth, uh, takes the, it takes her youth and brings it into her body. Um, eventually they find that the stone is not there. Oh, I'm sorry. That wasn't the woman. That was a security guard. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm sorry. Um, however, uh, even though the stone is not there, she has this amulet that glows, which alerts her to Jason blood's presence. So she leaves a trap for him. Uh, he and Batman arrive. They are greeted by suits of armor that come to life and start attacking them. Batman fends them off as long as he can, but eventually he is knocked down. Jason then uh, sheds his mortal form and becomes a He disintegrates all of the suits of armor as he will feast on that witch's cold black heart. Awesome. Batman says that if this woman is as powerful as uh, you say she is, we're going to need some help. So the Justice League joins in. Uh, Jean offers to locate her telepathically, uh, which does not go well, as LeFay sends a psychokinetic attack right back at Jean, uh, causing him to believe that he is back on Mars with his family. Uh, eventually, Etrigan pulls him out of the illusion rather violently, and Jean is very, very upset when all is said and done. LeFay and the League simultaneously figure out that there can only be two people who know where the stone is, these two archaeologists who discovered... Uh, uh, Castle Brannock, which was a focal point here, uh, several decades ago. While flying in the javelin, Etrigan warns Batman that Jean is tainted now, and once LeFay has her grasp on you, she's going to dangle your deepest desires in front of you and take them away when she gets what she wants. The League tracks down one of the men named Henry Moss, but they discover that he has no knowledge of the stone, and this means that the other one, Harv Hickman, must. So Flash and Diane are seen going to Hickman's mansion, and if you've never seen this episode, this man is the DCAU version of Hugh Hefner, down to the looks, voice, lifestyle, and anything else you could possibly imagine except the class. <laughs> Flash and Diana break in line amongst many other costume people and demand to be let in, but the security won't let them. So Diana tosses one of the guards across the lawn, and after a brief standoff, Hickman appears at the front door and lets Diana in because she is so beautiful. Flash scoots in after her. And we go back to Moss's house where LeFay appears and confronts Moss, but it's actually Jean in disguise, and she recognizes him uh, instantly. Etrigan and Batman bust in, but LeFay sends another illusion at Jean, which causes him to hesitate, and it allows Batman to be seriously injured. Uh, the episode ends with Etrigan rebuking Jean for uh, letting Batman get injured in, in battle. So that's part one. I don't know about this one. I mean, I like seeing the demon pop up. I think the origin story of the demon is really cool. I loved the way everything changed when Merlin approached him. Everything in the background turned red, didn't it? Yes. Yeah, and then he comes out just all white, whitish. And then, you know, when Etrigan is, you know, or excuse me, when Blood is bonded to Etrigan, uh, just the way that's done, it looks very Kirby-ish. It's 
very cool. And then we get the modern stuff, and I just find myself less interested. Not bad. Not bad at all. I just, I just really don't care about LaFay and her son and the want to bring Camelot back and put the little douche on the throne. I just, I just don't. So that's where I am here. I'm sorry. What about you? I can understand your feelings for that because I do agree that the ultimate goal is very weak and very nonsensical. But I do like the villain, Morgan Le Fay, just strictly as a villain. And, of course, her voice actress is Olivia Dabo, and oh, everybody man. knows my love for her. Yeah. <laughs> She's my favorite character actress ever. It's like she basically took her character of Nicole Wallace from Law & Order Criminal Intent and applied it to a mystical villainess. And I love that. I think it's really cool. But, yeah, overall, I'm, I'm right there with you on, on the weakness of the plot, or the villainous plot, you know? You know, again, it, it's just, I, I love the character of Etrigan. So, and, you know, he and, he and Batman together, is, it's just like instant win. Yeah. Now, speaking of Etrigan, is this the same voice actor from when we saw him in Gotham Knights? It sounds different to that's me. A, that's a good question. He sounds much uh, more gruff. Very, almost almost like his voice is forced. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I just wasn't entirely keen on his voice. I actually, I really dug his voice here. Um, As Jason Blood and as Etrigan. But uh, I love the scene near the end where uh, the demon, or not the, yeah, the demon, he's all like, oh, I don't think we can trust the Martian. He shouldn't be on this mission. He's going to compromise us all. And Batman's like, I trust John with my life. And the demon's like, I'll send flowers. <laughs> yes. I was like, nice, awesome. Because I just love how the demon's just, he's right about everything, but he doesn't hold back what he's really feeling. Uh, something I want to point out, this doesn't have to do with the episode or the story at all. It has to do with the DVD. In the DVD mm-hmm. menu, this one's actually called A Night with Shadows. Not a night of shadows. Once you actually play the DVD and you get the title on the screen, it does say of, not with. So a bit of a screw up on the production, the DVD production team's part. Also in the case, the DVD case itself, it says that. Oh, does it? I'm looking at it right yeah, now. The Just League Season 1 case, it says shadows. it. With... Yeah. Huh. Yep. Whoopsie. Uh, episode 2 opens up on the Watchtower where Batman has suffered a concussion and two broken ribs. And John profusely apologizes to Batman for letting him down and says that the images were so real that he really believed he was on Mars. And he says that Batman couldn't possibly know what it's like to be tempted to do anything to get your family back. Of course, of course not. (laughs) Meanwhile, at uh, Harv Hickman's party, Hickman gives Flash and Diana the grand tour of the mansion. And Flash ditches Diana to go flirt with some bikini models and in quotes. <laughs> yes, I'm using I'm using the PG PG thirteen rated version here. <laughs> yeah. So Diana charms Hickman into revealing the source of his good fortune, and it's at this point uh, that Lef- uh, well he he actually does end up revealing that it's the Sorcerer's Stone. He doesn't know what's called that, but it, there's it's on display in his bedroom. Um, and Lafay attacks at this point and turns Hickman into a gigantic worm monster thing that starts plowing through the mansion, tearing shit up everywhere. Um, But Diana actually does get possession of the stone here, and LeFay almost gets it, but Etrigan appears and blasts LeFay through a wall, 
and he orders Diana to get the stone as far away as possible, so she reluctantly does, you know, not wanting to desert from a fight. Etrigan then fights Lafage and no success at all, and Flash saves him from getting killed, I guess. And Lafay, in a fit of rage, just unleashes this torrent that destroys the entire Playboy Mansion. And on the Watchtower, the League puts the stone into what they think is safe storage. Jean has another illusion, but he fights it off for the time being. And back on Earth, Lafay sends a horde of ogres into the Watchtower through a portal, and simultaneously, psychically messes around with Jean again. Finally, this fight has gotten so bad that Etrigan tells Flash to just create a whirlwind uh, while he freezes the horde with the, his you know, his magic. It works, and the horde is reduced to ice cubes, but unfortunately, Etrigan informs the leaguers there that uh, Jean is gone and the stone is with him. And he insults the leaguers for ignoring his warnings, and Flash says that uh, Jean has taken the Javelin 7 and his access code is punched into the hangar, which means they're stranded there. Batman tells them to get the lock, uh, get a lock on the javelin, and on Earth, Jean is bringing the stone to Lafay, who has, uh, at this point, turned all of London into a medieval scene, and uh, the League teleports there, thanks to Etrigan's powers, I guess, and Etrigan attacks Jean and tries to reason with him through violence, uh, while the rest of the League contends with Lafay and Mordred's magic. Well, eventually, all of the Justice League is beaten, except for Jean, who uh, psychically attacks Etrigan, and while he's doing this, he sees how he became the demon. Etrigan collapses, and he transforms back into Jason. Uh, Lefay demands the stone again, but uh, Jean takes it and crushes it in his bare hand, to Lefay's utter horror. He says, the price was too high for having Mars back, and you can no longer control me. And Lefay leaves, the city is restored to normal, and Jean apologizes to the League and resigns from the JLA. But Jason stops him and says that the demon was wrong about him and that he wishes he had had his strength centuries ago. And he just walks off into the sunset (laughs) of the completely dark night scene. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. All the crap with John is overdone. It's fucking annoying. Yes. I hate it. It's like, look, John, you know it's fake. You admitted it was fake. But then... You, 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 you still go along with it? What? Oh, my God. Over and over and over again, it keeps coming back. It really killed the second part of this story for me. It honestly did. And I am very bothered by the fact that John wasn't either booted off the team or that his res- resignation wasn't accepted. Yeah, when I first saw this episode, the very first time it aired and he resigned, I was I was left thinking, wow, did he actually resign? Because that's kind of where the episode ends. You know, Jason says, oh, I, you know, the demon was wrong about you, yada, yada, yada. That was, that was it. And you don't know until next week, well, did John actually resign? Uh, the next episode, I guess it's the Savage Time, or not the Savage Time, Metamorphosis, and he does appear there. So, yeah, he's still with the League. Yeah, I mean, what he did is not all that different than what Shaira did in Starcrossed. He nearly cost the world everything. Everything. And he's still allowed to stay on the team? What the fuck? You know, I mean, it's so... uh, You know, I'm just going to drop it because I I just... I'll just keep going on about it, so... Beyond that, my 
my big gripe with this one is, why didn't they just destroy the damn stone earlier? Yeah. Yeah, they had no reason to keep it around. I mean, if Jean can just destroy it, and there's and apparently there's no negative effects to this, it doesn't affect magic wielders all over the Earth. You know, I, I would think something that powerful would do something right. when it gets destroyed. Yeah, even if it's just like a psychic mind quake, like a reverberation that's felt across the universe, or the world, by all the magic users, that's fine. But no, 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 just crush it and everything is hunky-dory, huh? The second Wonder Woman grabbed it off of What's-His-Face's bed... And, you know, LaFay's all like, give it to me. And Wonder Woman's like, I can't resist. She just had to crush the damn thing. Yep. Uh, speaking of Diana, this is the first time we've seen her using her femininity to charm somebody, which I kind of like, actually, because maybe maybe it's, she's finally kind of, what's the word I'm looking for, integrating herself into the world and using some, some more uh, subtle tactics instead of swinging her fists around. Yeah, that, that is a little different from her, which is cool. It's cool that, you know, they're trying something new with the character, you know, because, of course, she does have that line, I'd love to see your stone. <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh-huh. Wow. Yep. But, of course, then, you know, not Hugh Hefner, then turns into a very phallic-looking monster. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then and then Flash calls him Cecil. So yeah. we got a... Benny and Cecil reference. Yeah, that's a reference wow. that's going to go over a lot of people's heads. A lot. But yep. good good on them for throwing that in there. Yeah, I guess I guess Bruce Tibb and them are a big Bob Clampett fans. <laughs> yeah, in fact, the only reason I know about that uh, about that at all is by my uh, by where I used to live uh, in, in the old house I used to live in. Uh, for a while, there was like a, a, ni- a 1950s or 1960s themed diner, and they used to run that in there they you know i don't know how they got their hands on tapes of it but they used to run that so yeah yeah otherwise i'd be like i didn't even know what he was saying <laughs> <laughs> well, i guess we just uh, some generic questions here was that mc hammer yelling at hickman after his mansion was destroyed i don't know who that was supposed to be i i don't know it could be him i don't know <laughs> <laughs> um another question how did a palm scanner read flash's hand through his costume what? Who who did what? When, okay, remember when they locked the stone up in the watchtower? Mm-hmm. Flash puts his hand on that panel to lock oh, it up. Oh, oh, oh! I misunderstood what you meant. I thought you meant like a palm reader, like a, like someone who reads oh, palms yeah. for a profession. I'm like, that didn't happen. <laughs> no. no, you're no, right. No, no. You're right. It's like well, it's like getting Batman's Batman feeling someone's pulse through his gloves. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't even know what to say about the second episode. <laughs> well, I mean, you caught that someone was doing the bat dance at the party. Yes. Did you catch... Not to men- I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, not to mention all the the uh, new gods present at the party. Oh, I don't know if I picked up on that. Oh, oh, oh yeah, Dr. Bedlam, Devilance, or Devilance, I can't remember his name is pronounced. They were there. I think Viking the Black was there. Huh, cool. Maybe some others. I don't know. I, then there's, of course, old school Aquaman, Maxi Zeus, yeah. Harley well, Quinn. Was it Zeus or was it just a guy dressed up like a Greek, like a classic that, Greek? Could, you know what I mean? It, but could it be, looked like it Zeus, looked, didn't it? Yeah. It looked exactly like Maxi Zeus. Yeah. Yeah. And because I think I don't think you had mentioned it was actually a Halloween party, is what it was. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah I should have mentioned that. Um, this is just sort of a generic thing I'm throwing out there. Did you notice that when? the watchtower was being invaded by those demonic beasties, whatever they were. 
you know, the demon himself, he was like sitting on top of a crate or something. And when the power went off, his, like, his position and his cape completely changed without him moving. Uh, no, I didn't pick up on I that. I double-checked it. Uh, well, I say double-checked it a couple of times. So that's triple, quadruple-checked it. I don't know. But I kept re-watching it. The second the lights go out, his cape very clearly shifts. And he, I think even the position of his head shifts. And it's not like he moved his head and tugged his cape. He didn't do any of that. It's like they just drew him in a completely different position with no transition in between the two. It was very poor. Very poorly done. No, I didn't catch that. I, although I, I will say I liked the uh, just his animation in shadow when he says we are not alone. Oh yeah, yeah, no, that was definitely cool. But yeah, that's, for, that's what I noticed about that scene. <laughs> trying to think if there's anything else to say about this one. Um, Batman fights a chair. That was interesting. Yes. With a battering. Yeah. <laughs> and then he kicks it, punches it, knees it, kicks it off of a, of a, a balcony. Yeah, that's great. Batman, you killed a chair. You, you're a murderer. Uh, he was getting revenge from tripping on that chair in Mean Seasons. <laughs> Gentlemen, you have a problem. It was an accident. There were no fatalities. You got lucky this time, Mr. Braddock. But because of unsafe conditions like this, the unions are demanding higher wages. And the insurance companies won't cover your risk. Luckily, I've got a solution. Please enlighten us, Mr. Stagg. I call it... Metamorpho. A chemically altered worker who will not merely survive in most hazardous environments, but will thrive in them. Stag, we need a practical solution, not some half-baked computer-simulated fantasy. I assure you, it's no fantasy. Stag Industries has sunk a fortune into developing this. Hogwash. I'll believe it when I see it, but not until then. They want proof. I'll give them proof. All I need is a volunteer. So uh, next up, we have um, Metamorphosis. And uh, in this one, um, there's uh, there, there's like an oil rig or something. And uh, the, the guys on the oil rig, they're all like, hey, we, we don't like oil rigging because, uh, I don't know, uh, I, I don't know. And uh, so they're doing their thing and... Uh, something happens and the oil rig blows up and, uh, it turns out that someone, uh, for no good reason really was like, uh, recording it. Maybe they were going to put it on YouTube or something. And, uh, so, uh, we actually cut to like a boardroom where this, uh, Colonel Sanders looking guy, uh, uh, Miss, Mr. Stagg or something. I don't know. He's, he's all like, look, see, it's, it's dangerous out there on oil rigs. And everybody in the boardroom's like, yeah, um. Duh. That's why we pay people a lot of money to do it because, like, it's dangerous. And he's like, "Well, uh, instead of spending that money on, on paying normal guys to to do your oil rigging, how about you give me that money and I'll use it to make like some super guy that um, can can go to any environment or something." And uh, they're all like, "Well, that sounds kind of stupid, but um, oh, 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 okay, like try it." So like. He, he he leaves and everybody leaves and next thing we know we see some like monkey looking guy uh he, he's getting on a train 
and he's trying to stuff his suitcase in, in the overhead, and he can't do it because it's too big. Because you know it's it's big. So um, the the someone takes it, and they're like, "Oh, you have to you have to stow that." And he's like, "Oh, but my boss told me not to because it's got a super secret chemical in it." And they're like, "Well, okay, whatever, but we got to take it." So they take it and they they put it in the I don't know in the luggage room. And uh, meanwhile, there's this other guy on there. Uh, what's his name? Rex. Rex Mason. And he's like, he thinks he's all like suave and stuff, but really he's kind of ugly. But anyway, so uh, the waitress walks by and she's all like, can, can I get you a drink? And he's like, no, um, but how about like you sit on my lap? And she's like, tee hee hee, I get off in 20 minutes. So he's like, no. You, you, you'll get off in 25 when I'm done with you. <laughs> so uh, the, the train's going along, and it, like, hits a bump or something, and, like, the, the super-secret chemical-carrying briefcase, like, falls over, and the chemicals sort of fall out, and they, they drip all over the place, and apparently they're, like, acidic? I don't know. And it eats through the floor, and it eats through one of the axles, and the train goes all wibbly-wobbly, and it, it goes speeding off. And apparently when you break, like, one axle on a train, it, you can't control it anymore. So, you know, it can't be stopped. And, I don't know, Green Lantern just happens to be around. So he, uh, he, he does what he can to, you know, he shoots his Green Lantern beamy thing. And, you know, he sort of stops the train, but it still hits the station. It falls over or whatever. And uh, nobody dies, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. The day is saved, sort of. So uh, Green Lantern, he ends up, uh, it turns out he's buddies with the guy who's hitting on the waitress, Rex. And, uh, yeah, so they're all like, hey, yeah, good times, good times. Remember when we were in the military? Yeah, that was awesome. So, you know, John's all like, yeah, I guess it was cool. I don't know, whatever. Uh, they're talking, and Rex is all like, yeah, uh, my life is cool but yours is cooler. You're a superhero. And John's all like, no, yours is cooler because you don't have to wear tights, I, I guess. I don't know. So John's, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're both sort of thinking it's always greener on the other side. And all of a sudden Rex's like girlfriend comes out of the shower and like, she has no problem walking around the apartment in a towel in front of a guy she's never met before. And, uh, so yeah, that's, that's kind of cool. I need friends like that. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, so, uh, what do you call it? Uh, you know, she, she like kisses John and she is then like, Hey, why don't you stick around big boy? Like, I think that's kind of like dialogue too, or close to it. So John's all like, Oh, Oh, okay. I kind of have to use the ring to, to hide my pants snake right now. Cause it's, it's perking up. So John's, John, John's like, Oh, okay. This is kind of cool. Uh, but then he gets a call from Batman who's like at the train station and he's all like, yeah, there, there was like a chemical or something on that train. And, uh, somehow Batman knows it has something to do with, stag and rex and all of them and so green lantern's like okay I'll, I'll investigate and he he's like he turns around to his friend and he's all like hey you were on that train and like there was some chemical on that train and uh, i know it has to do with you so like why don't you tell me what was going on and uh his his buddy is is all like i i don't i don't know what you're talking about because he doesn't know what he's talking about John just likes to, like, blame people for things, I think. And uh, he didn't learn anything from when the Green Lanterns yelled at him, falsely accused him of things. Bad, bad man, John, you should have learned. Anyways, so, like, John's like, okay, well, I'm leaving because you're lying to me. But maybe I'll come back because your girlfriend's hot. So make sure she's here. But you don't be here because, yeah, you know. But anyways, so he flies off. And uh, 
then it's it's revealed that Rex and this girl, you know, they're getting engaged, and it turns out she's like Mr. Stag's daughter, and they're afraid to tell him because Stag's like a douchebag, and he, I don't know, whatever. So, but something happens, and Stag shows up to the apartment with flowers, and they they say, "Hey, we're we're getting married, and you can't stop us." And he's apparently in love with his daughter because, and no, I'm not not making that up. So, like, he squishes the flowers and throws them down, and but he's like, whatever. I'm leaving. Live your life. I don't care. So he goes back to the laboratory and like he calls. Oh no, Rex says he's he's quitting basically. So Rex is picking up his stuff that night for no apparent reason. <laughs> like couldn't wait till the next day. But anyway, so uh, while he's there, he decides to go to the lab or something. I don't know. I think there's a break in there and he's investigating it because he's security. I guess I don't know. But anyway, so like he goes down there. And he just stands in the right spot, and a chamber comes down and gasses him. And uh, I, I don't even know. He, I, I don't know. So something happens. He he gets out of the building as some sort of goopy thing and gets hit by a truck when he turns into whatever the hell he turns into. And uh, what do you call it? Green Lantern shows up, and the girl is there. And she's all like, oh, no, I know I just met you, but I'm going to hug you and kiss you on the cheek. And... Uh, Stag is there and he thinks it's funny to like manipulate his daughter or something I don't know and so he has his uh, monkey man what's the monkey man's name Java he has Java take a picture or three of this and so you know Rex then shows up later on at Stag's office he's like you did this to me and so then um, he shows him these photos of, of his girlfriend you know Stag's daughter kissing Green Lantern he's like I'm gonna kill that guy cause he hugged my girlfriend so, uh, what do you call it? Then he finds John. He calls him. He's like, hey, come meet me at this, like, chemical plant and, you know, everything will be cool. So he shows up and everything's not cool. And they get into a big fight and he kind of kicks the shit out of Green Lantern. End part one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. From the very start of this episode with the uh, Final Destination-like explosion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, really, a pebble. A pebble falls into this hole. Mm -hmm. It hits the drill. It causes a spark. The spark hits a methane reserve under the ground, causing this massive explosion. Could you get any more Rube Goldberg? (laughs) I got. Yeah. And like you said in in, uh, your your stoner review there, um, (laughs) who was recording that explosion? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, why? Why would anybody be recording that drilling operation at all? I don't know. This episode as a whole. I think, I, I remember liking this one in years past, but not anymore <laughs> after watching it and looking at it analytically. Yeah. This guy, this guy Simon Stagg is just so overtly and obviously evil. It's like, how does no one figure out that this guy is a douchebag engaging in illegal activities? Yeah. And then you throw in Simon's really creepy doting on Sapphire, and uh, yeah, everyone in this first episode except Batman is just stupid beyond all belief. That's actually the one note I wrote down about this first part. This is what I wrote. There's insane and there's stupid. Rex is stupid at the end. I could almost buy it like, oh, he kind of went insane after the transformation, and that's why he's believing all this. But no, it, you never really get the sense that that's what it is. It's just, he's just stupid. Beyond belief. 
And what really ticks me off, and I thought about this um, not too long before we started recording, he's mad at his girlfriend. What did you say his name, her name was? Sapphire? Yes. He's mad at her because he saw that picture of her hugging Green Lantern and then kissing him on the cheek. So he thinks, oh my God, she's cheating on me. Um, you were flirting with the waitress on the train. Yep. Who the fuck are you to talk? That really bothered me. I understand what they were trying to do in that in that scene with him on the train. They were setting up that he was the flirtatious type, that he's supposed to be all suave and debonair and whatever. I get it. But then you can't turn around and have him become a nutter when he thinks his girl is cheating on him because you really get the impression that had that train not gone haywire, he would have gone out on that date with her or had that drink with her. And who knows what else, but they didn't have that because, well the acid ate through the axle or the brake line or whatever it did. I'm not getting back on the, oh my God, Terry cheated on whatever her face was. Rant. That's, that, yeah, that, that's not what I'm doing. I'm just simply saying you can't have a character potentially cheat on his girlfriend and then have him get mad when he thinks she did that exact thing. <laughs> yep, that's my second major gripe is the character of Rex Mason. I mean, this guy is, in essence, eloping with Simon's daughter. And you tell him this face-to-face, Rex, and later you're in the stag building, and you get trapped inside a chamber in the stag building where mutagens made by stag enterprises spray all over you. So where is this great mystery as to who is responsible for your present predicament? Yeah. How, how do you not figure out that Simon Stagg is responsible for this? And furthermore, why would you think that Jon Stewart would do this heinous act to you because of two pictures of him and Sapphire yeah. together? That's the thing. The pictures have to clearly have been taken after everything went haywire in his life. So how is he not putting two and two together and realizing that John's just comforting her? Not comforting her, but comforting her because she feels sad that her, something's happened to her fiancé. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my and, God. And, and how would how would John get access to a top secret room in a heavily guarded complex like Stag Enterprises? And how would he operate it? He's a he's a freaking Green Lantern and an ex Marine. He's not a microbiologist or a geneticist. Right. Again, there's insane and there's stupid. This is stupid. <laughs> oh God. Uh, part two. Sure. So like um, this one picks up with. Uh, uh, Metamorpho or Rex or whatever he's called, I don't know, uh, about to, about to squish John and, like, the League shows up and, and they just, like, beat up on him because that's what they do. You know, they don't they don't ask questions or anything like that. They just punch. Anyways, so, like, uh, it turns out, like, off in the distance but not really that far away because, you know, whatever. So uh, is, is uh, Stag and uh, Java and they're, like, filming it again for YouTube, I think. And so... They're like, hey, isn't this awesome? Like, who do you think would win in a fight? Like, Hulk or Superman? Oh, wait, they don't say that. Anyways, um, so they, 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 they take this video, and they drive away. And um, they then, like, take this to the, the, the board that they were talking to before. Well, not they, because Java isn't there, but Stag, you know what I mean. So, like, and they're like, hey, that, that's cool. You should put that on YouTube. You'll, you'll get, like, lots of hits. So he's like, okay, I'll do that. But before I do that... Um, are you going to give me money now to make more of the metamorphos? And they're like, yeah, because clearly you're not doing anything illegal because, yeah, you just happened to film this battle between Metamorpho and the Justice League. Like, you clearly didn't set that up. He's like, no, I didn't, really. And they're like, okay, we believe you. So they, they 
throw lots of money at him. Um, so then he goes out and he has a party, probably gets a hooker or two that look like his daughter. And, oh, I think in the meantime, uh, they somehow convinced Metamorpho that John wasn't uh, uh, sleeping with Sapphire. And so he was like, oh, okay, sorry. And so they don't take him to jail. They just kind of like go, okay, you, you do whatever you got to do. So uh, over 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 at his mansion, um, he's, his stag's all like, yeah, I'm evil, cackle, cackle, cackle. So, um, like, and then he says, yeah, um, no, we're not going to use Rex for, for what we're doing. He was just like uh, a test. And uh, Rex overhears this because he was pretending he was, um, you know, some water in the fountain. He probably peed in there too because he's stupid. So um, he then like pours himself out of there and he's like, you, you use me. And he's like, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm evil. If I had a mustache and a black hat, I'd twirl the mustache and I'd wear my black hat because that's what you do with hats. Anyways, so all of a sudden, Java comes out of nowhere, and he, he sprays Rex uh, with um, spray. And uh, what do you call it? Stag's like, yeah, you know what's cool about things? They freeze. Ha, ha, ha. And so like, he, he walks away, and they just sort of like, they're going to leave him there, but they're like, oh, wait, no, let's get some guys. So they get some guys, and they put him in a truck because um, they kind of forget that anything that freeze can um, thaw. Um, so yeah, so these guys are like driving away and, uh, he starts to melt or something and he, uh, at attacks them and the truck goes crazy and, uh, Green Lantern and, uh, Hawkgirl, they show up and they, they, they stop the truck, but Rex gets away or something and Green Lantern cries on the side of the road because he's a baby. And so, um, then all of a sudden, uh, we, we go back to Stag and Java, and they're all like, hey, let's make more of these things, and, and let's do it right now at 2 in the morning, because um, we can't wait until the morning when the actual scientific team is here. Yeah, you, thug, that looks like a monkey, help me. So he's got on some, like, uh, cyber helmet or something. Not like the Cyberman, because that would make this cool. No, just more like some idea of a virtual reality helmet type thing, which makes it stupid. So, you know, they're they're handling these chemicals, and Rex shows up, and the chemicals spill, and there's some feedback on the helmet because they needed it because, um, I don't know, they needed it to shock Stag. So uh, the chemicals spill, and Stag's a vegetable, and Rex then steps in the chemicals, and then, like, out of the chemicals some, comes some, like, giant monster and it's all like and it stomps around the city and the they they soon figure out that the monster isn't as stupid and rah as as they thought it it actually got some of stags like brain so from that they're like hey if if i was a giant douchebag who doesn't wear a mustache but would if if he had it he would twirl it and doesn't have a black hat but if he did he'd he'd wear it um like what would i do oh i know I'd go after my daughter who I clearly want to have sex with because that's like what you do. I, I, I don't know. So he, he all goes up to the building and Sapphire, she's in there, she's watching the TV and she's all like, she sees the monster report on the news and uh, she's like, Oh, Rexy. Oh, what have you become? Cause she thinks the monster monsters for Rexy and like the monster then climbs up and it's all like, Sapphire, and it grabs her like, like King Kong did. And, well, that that girl, not that King Kong didn't grab Sapphire. He grabs someone other, someone else. So he grabs her, and she's all like, "Daddy, is that you?" And he's like, "Yeah, take your panties off." So, but wait, oh, she doesn't. She, but she doesn't do that. So he climbs up to the top of the building, and the league, and they they try to stop it, but they can't. So um, 
you know, John, he tries to go and Metamorpho, they try to go and they can't do anything about it. And so like Batman's just sort of like doing nothing. I don't know. He's just hanging around the, the, the building where the, the monster was born from and he finds more of the goop and he analyzes it quickly. I don't know how, but he just does cause he's Batman. So he's all like, yeah, okay. I know how to stop this. But like, um, the way to do that is, um, we need a certain compound. And John's like, oh, no, where are we going to get that? And Metamorph was like, oh, I know. You know how I can turn into anything? And John's like, yeah. He's like, how about I turn into that stuff and, like, stop him? And John's like, no, because no. And Metamorph was like, okay. And then he hits John and knocks him out. And he's like, oh, I'm going to do it anyways. Just gasses him. <laughs> okay, he farts in his face or something. So then he turns into whatever he needs to turn into. And he's uh, like, Geronimo! And he jumps into the giant creature. And he explodes himself. And the creatures are like, ah! And the, the girl falls. And Green Lantern catches her. And he's like, hey, you, your boyfriend's dead. You want to kiss now? And she's like, yes. And, oh, no, no. So... Uh, but yeah, the monster blows up and Metamorpho is dead and all the Justice League standing around like the goop because, you know, when, when someone blows up, the, 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 the least traumatic thing you can do for the bereaved is let them stand around like the blowed up body. So they're standing around the blowed up body and all of a sudden the goop starts to come together and they're all like, oh no, the goop's moving. Let's not do anything. Let's just stand here and stare at it all slack jawed because, um, I don't know, that's what we do. And then all of a sudden, Rexy is alive again. And he's like, oh, I don't want to do that again. And Sapphire's are like, oh, my panties are off because my daddy took them off. So how about we go into the back and we have some, you know, freaky sex. You can turn into, uh, no, wait, no. But they kiss. And that's the end of the episode. <laughs> Bravo, sir. Yeah, I have, like, two notes for the rest of this thing. I have one. <laughs> and, um. And they're good because my voice is almost completely gone. <laughs> the second half of this episode was Forbidden Planet meets King Kong, <laughs> and Earl Bowen uh, did the who did the voice of I believe Stag, if I'm not mistaken, Simon Stag did the voice of the uh, Rhino back in BTAS, the ventriloquist uh, henchman. Nice. Rhino. One of our one of our favorite henchmen. I love Rhino. He's great. Yeah. Yes. That's it. So I the, the rest of it is for you. My okay. Friend. Okay, I'll read the one note I have. During the fight with the league, the Metamorpho, he is able to take down everybody cuz of course he instantly knows how to use his powers. But the way he takes down Superman is by turning part of his body into kryptonite. How the hell does he know the chemical composition of kryptonite? I could almost buy him knowing certain things. Like he can turn into steel because maybe he touched steel either as Metamorpho or as Rex, and somehow his body registered it, and that's how he's able to turn into it as Metamorpho. Same with any poison gases. Maybe he's picking up uh, them from the air or whatever. But but kryptonite? There's no way you can justify him knowing <laughs> how to turn into kryptonite when he has to be told the formula to turn into whatever he turns into later on. Yep. You know? <laughs> If, if, like, later on he just somehow knew how to do that, then maybe I'd be softer on the kryptonite thing, but I can't. I can't be soft on the kryptonite thing because, again, he has to be told that formula. Furthermore, I don't even think we really know what Rex does. So if we're assuming that he just has to know the chemical composition of things to become them, how does he know all this? You know? <laughs> How's he able to just say, oh, we need to make, I need to 
turn into this, this, that, that, and the other, and all of a sudden I could be, I don't know, bubblegum. So, oh, God. Uh, none of this makes sense, and it's just so stupid. I gotta keep saying that. Stupid. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. It's so painful. And, like, what, what makes it so bad for me, right from the get-go, is that I don't get the love for Metamorpho that a lot of people have. I think he looks stupid. I, I, I don't get the character. I will admit, when there was, like, a Metamorpho... I don't think it was Metamorpho. I think it was, like, a portion of Metamorpho. Sort of like Annie was a portion of Clayface. There was, like, something like that with Metamorpho, in quotes, on the Outsiders for a little while. And that was interesting. That was, But normal Metamorpho, I don't get. I don't care about him. I think his design looks really lame. You can make yourself into anything, but that's, the, that's your walking around look? Really? So to, like, bring him into the DCAU, it just makes me go, no, no, no. Because the reason it hurts is because they did such a good job with, like, Aquaman and... Aquaman, that when they do other superheroes like Metamorpho, I'm like, why choose someone so bottom of the barrel and then give them such a shit story? I honestly have nothing else to say about this one. I mean, the synopsis took longer than we're spending on the episode. You know, normally at this point, I'd be like, I don't want to shortchange this. But really, it shortchanged itself. The characters are just cookie cutter as all get out, especially Stag. Mm -hmm. Dude is just so blatantly evil. That no one can figure it out is just, well, stupid. Yes. You know, I will say this. I kind of like Java, the sort of simple-minded, hunched-over brute of a guy. I mean, he's not Rhino. He's, he's yeah. nothing like that. He's he's not even near, like, um, I just lost his name, uh, Solomon Grundy. But he was a little, well, I was going to say interesting. That's not quite the right word. But he was a little something. He was a bright spot, I guess, in this episode of Stupid. Uh, can we just get to our scores, please? Yeah, sure. Okay, okay. Uh, Fury. I'm going to give it a six, but this might, one might be one I come back to. Yeah, I initially gave it a seven. As we started talking about it, I bumped it down to a six. Uh, Legends. I had this as a perfect ten, but then, you know, you take the gravestone thing, and yeah. I'm going to, I have to bump it down, but it's still just an unbelievably awesome episode. It's getting a nine. Okay, I'm going to give that one an eight. Uh, Night of Shadows. I'll give this a five, because I really... There are a lot of parts of it that I really do like. That's also getting a five from me, and Metamorphosis. Two. I think I may give this one a three, but no. No, Stag's... No, no, Stag is two. No, no, it's getting a two as well. I still don't trust that Martian. He's damaged goods. I trust Jean with my life. I'll send flowers. Feedback in the form of emails can be sent to feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. That's feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. And remember, our voicemail number is 731-WFP-WFP-0. 731-937-9370. Next time on World's Finest Podcast, we'll discuss the three-part Justice League story, The Savage Time. For James Doe, I'm Michael David Sims saying thank you for listening to World's Finest Podcast. (laughs) 